available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 247 Sports Network. CBS Sports, 247 Sports, what are sure. we calling it? Yeah, because we're, we're both both of our sites are over now, right? So I'm Ryan yeah, Abraham. I, yeah, we don't need to say scout anymore. Yeah. Bye, scout. Uh, bye, scout. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com of the 247 CBS Sports Network, and we are the podcast of champions. That's Dave and I together. For the last few years, we've created this little podcast talking about Pac-12 football. If you want to tweet us, you can do that at Pac-12 Podcast. If you want to email us, and a lot of you have done that, Pac-12Podcast at gmail.com. Our website is Pac-12Podcast.com. And if you want to leave a voicemail, we got a couple this week, so thank you for that. 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. That's how you get a hold of us. So I have a question. Did we start this podcast precisely when the Pac-12 started to nosedive? <laughs> are you, are you blaming 2015, us? 2015 was the first kind of subpar year where there wasn't really a, a solid playoff contender. Then 2016, uh, Washington obviously wasn't up to, to Alabama's snuff or, or probably shouldn't have been in the playoffs. And then this year, uh, going to be without a playoff team. Yeah, yeah. Um... So I guess you could blame us. I don't know. I, I think maybe Larry Scott's a little bit more to blame. And uh, we, we definitely, we've had requests to have John Wilner join us from, uh, you know, he yeah. does a great job with the Mercury News up in San Jose. Uh, we've, I, we've had him on before, haven't we? We've had him on once before. Okay. Yeah, I think it was maybe this off season. It might have been, but he, he does a great job with that and like how he puts all into the schedule. Basically, the Pac-12 is not helping out itself as far as football goes. It's kind of focused on, the uh, the Olympic sports as opposed to the revenue sports. And, uh, you know, we cover the revenue sports, Dave and I, you know, not we don't like Olympic sports, but we would rather see the, you know, the, the revenue sports like a football do really well, I would think. I don't know that you feel the same way, Dave. We don't like the Olympic sports. Let's not, <laughs> come on, let's not lie to everyone out there. All right. Like, it's not like we were all like going and watching softball games. It just didn't happen. Um, yeah, we both want the revenue sports to do well and particularly football because that's, really the revenue sport i mean yes. basketball makes a little bit of money but it's not um not in the not in the same category and football's just i mean it's the it's the straw that stirs the drink basically i mean aside from like the true true basketball schools like maybe in indiana maybe a kentucky but even kentucky i think they probably got more season ticket holders for football than they do for basketball it's just a function of the size of the sport yeah um well Dave, I think we're going to start off, before we get everything, we're going to start off with some breaking news. I don't know about breaking news, but I wanted to give the Pac-12 Football Players of the Week. Uh, offensive, Bryce Love is back. He had 166 yards, um, the junior running back, uh, three touchdowns in the 30-22 to win over number 9 Washington. So he had a pretty good day, and, and if you listen to David Shaw afterwards, he did it on one leg. Um, Washington State... Uh, they, of course, they beat Utah 33-25. to Hercules Mata'afa uh, 
defensive lineman who's undersized guy, but man, he just makes a crap load of plays. Uh, career day for him. So he had eight tackles, uh, five for loss, five tackles for loss, three sacks. He forced a fumble and recovered a fumble. So pretty good day for Hercules. Uh, when when they're roll like when he's rolling, they're usually rolling. And then uh, kicker, the Washington State's kicker Eric Powell. Uh, he was he had four field goals and 15 total points in the win over Utah. So um, I think I actually voted for all Stanford players this week, but only only love one. That seems fair. I mean, I think Washington State had a nice win on the road, so I think they probably wanted to reward them a little bit. But yeah. all of that seems right based off the games I watched this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Stanford, uh, I mean, they got a big win, obviously, too. But um, And then there's some breaking news with the, we don't talk a lot of basketball. I think we started, we might have talked basketball the first year, but we quickly decided against that. Uh, the three, yeah, it was so bad. The three UCLA uh, players that were accused of shoplifting are on their way home if they're not already home now. Yeah, yeah. One of the greatest diplomatic efforts of our age. Um, UCLA as uh, basketball players after uh, reportedly shoplifting from multiple high end stores uh, next to where they were staying in. A suburb of, I believe, Shanghai, um, were released after I don't know about five or six days in uh, in some sort of high level detention. Um, so that's nice. That's good to hear. We don't like to hear about anybody getting stuck in Chinese prison for for stupid acts. But um, this was uh, such an absurd story, and how high it got that literally Donald Trump, the president of the United States was questioned about this stupid, <laughs> stupid thing in a press conference. Just incredible. We are living in a great, great time. I mean, it's it's funny. Like, we don't want to talk politics, obviously. Dave and I have, like, kind of different views. But it's kind pretty of. lucky. Whoever the, like, whoever the president was, if it was Obama or Trump, if you just happen to be in China and you have to be like, yo, president. <laughs> like, hey, so that whole North Korea thing, let's figure that out. But while we're at it. Would you mind? Can we talk about these three knuckleheads who were uh, <laughs> shoplifting at Louis Vuitton. College sports is kind of a big deal for us. Like, so well, you know, it's like just, you know, they're idiots. Like, they shouldn't have done it. And I know you normally uh, cut off their hands or put them in prison for ten years, but um, at least they'll learn a little bit about. Yeah, like uh, every place isn't the United States of America. You know, like you could do something. I mean, you can get caned in Singapore for chewing gum or whatever. So let's, you know. It's so goofy, and it's like, I mean, but you kind of have to know that going in. Like, I'm sure there was, like, uh, an etiquette talk that some, you know, UCLA admin had with these kids, and they just were not listening or whatever. But all's well that ends well. It sounds like they're not going to, I mean, they might get crushed by UCLA. I have no idea how long their suspensions are going to be, but um, not being in Chinese prison is always a win. Yeah, and then whenever the, I wake up in the morning, I'm always like, "Am I in Chinese prison? No, <laughs> I'm good to go. Great." And uh, I, you know, Wilner was kind of critical of the Pac-12 and Larry Scott, and they lit, released a statement today, and they were so focused on how this was supposed to be, what this trip was supposed to mean, and all that stuff, and that's like they couldn't get away from it. You know, it was kind of funny, like that. That's kind of what the Pac-12's focus was on. Well, you know, I actually have a theory about that. I think all of the tone of all of that stuff, and I don't know if you watched the UCLA-Georgia Tech game, but Bill Walton um, on the broadcast for the Pac-12, was it the Pac-12 Network? I can't remember if it's Pac-12 Network or ESPN, but on the broadcast, he apologized to China on behalf of the whole human race and really laid it on pretty thick, as you might imagine Bill Walton would do. <laughs> um, 
and then the Pac-12 kept talking about how much respect they have for China and all this kind of stuff. I have a theory that, yeah, it sounds kind of bad, but I think that was part of the negotiation. Like, that was part of, you know, China's very much a, a respect-driven culture. Yeah. Uh, and I think part of that was showing, like, over-the-top respect for China and its whole importance to athletics and everything um, to, you know, help to achieve some sort of leniency. That's my running theory, because otherwise it was really off-note. And you feel bad because there's like, you know, some poor peasant like steals like a loaf of bread and goes to prison for 10 years. Yeah. And and these like entitled athletes, well, you know, whatever, quote, unquote, like they just get off. So they have to do it in a different, I would assume there has to be some level of respect and stuff. So that, that probably goes along with your theory. Yeah, that's my theory. I mean, and we'll probably never know the actual truth of it, but that's what I'm running with. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's our basketball segment for this year. And then we'll <laughs> unless, unless something else crazy happens. Um, I guess we should get into our Pac-12 Roundup. And we'll uh, we'll reveal our new just crap power rankings because it's just, I mean, who's good? It's, it's complete dog crap. But first, I, I, w- I want to go over, because we talk about our picks a lot. Um, this is, our picks were pretty much... <laughs> That, that's what our picks were. Um, I beat Dave. I've never. Is there, not, is there a farting noise in there? I think there was. It's kind of long. Um, it's still going, I think. Um, so, <laughs> what I write down on my Google Doc, I'll write down the game, uh, the spread, and then I'll put who Dave picks and who I, I pick. And I bold the ones that are right, you know? So, a lot of times you see a lot of bold and stuff. Looking at these five lines, there is half of one line that is bolded. That was because I got one game right. Dave got zero games right. So we uh, combined uh, one for nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worst we've ever done. The worst you could possibly do. Like Dave would actually get money for picking none of them right. Like that's that's very yeah. hard to do. Yeah. Picking wrong against the spread in five straight games is, I mean... If it was a parlay, if it was like a reverse parlay, I could have put up like ten bucks and gotten like two hundred. Yeah, I mean, I mean probably right. more than that. Yeah, it's uh, it was utter crap. I've never like beat Dave for the week and felt worse. Like it was, and a lot of it was just like half a point here. And you're just like, oh man, like I've I've been pretty unlucky with the half point stuff, but it's usually Dave on the other side winning it. Like this time we were on the same side, and uh, yeah. so now you know what it feels like, Dave. Yeah, we're terrible. We're terrible at this, and we've got to get back to our fundamentals this week. Yeah. And, uh, you know, really just get back to the drawing board, start from the ground up, and just have a good week of practice. Yeah, that's what we'll, we're going to try to do that. Um, it's uh, it's rough. It was, it was a rough one. We were texting back and forth, like, really? And I, I was at a wedding. Like, to make it worse, I was at a fall wedding. Like, so oh. I'm trying to, like, watch on my phone or wherever I can in the bar. It was it was it was rough, and just to see the games not going the way you thought they were going to go. It's a hard <laughs> life out here for us. It's a hard life. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's start going through our power rankings, Dave. First, first up, number twelve. No, no change there. Oregon State Beavers. And uh, they were they were winners, right? No, they no. They, they didn't win. No, they didn't win the game. <laughs> wait, wait. Did they play? Or this was a bye week, right? Did they? No, no, no. Some of their players might have thought it was a bye uh, week, but okay. Well, they they apparently took on Arizona Wildcats. 
Yeah, so this was one of the games that went just kind of a couple points wrong for us. Um, Arizona won 49-28, um, allowed some garbage time stuff to Oregon State. Um, this was uh, probably the one game since Corey Hall started at Oregon State, uh, took over for Gary Anderson, where Oregon State kind of looked as booty as they looked under Gary Anderson. Uh, <laughs> just didn't show great effort. Um, just kind of didn't look quite right. Um, offensively, they, they ended with some good numbers, but they were completely ineffective in the first half. Um, and Khalil Tate went off again. Um, he had 16 carries for 206 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Um, his 71-yard uh, touchdown run, like, he blew past a defensive end, then he blew past a linebacker, and then a safety appeared to have an angle on him, and he just, he hit this, like, extra gear, um, somebody I follow on Twitter, uh, Spencer Hall, he always, you know, tweets about how Khalil Tate always looks like he's jogging. And finally on this run, run, he looked like he was truly sprinting and he just blew away from a safety. It was crazy to watch. Um, Arizona ran for over 530 yards on 55 carries. They averaged almost 10 yards per carry to get to 534 yards. That's insane. Yeah. That, that was a school record actually. So that's the first time. Um, I think for in the Pac-12 that someone's run for that many yards since 1996. Like Washington did it against like San Jose State, like not a conference game like this was. Well, it's kind of a conference game because it's Oregon State, but still. Right. Uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Beef. That was not a. Yeah. No, no. This was this was like a non-conference patsy. But they covered um, the spread. They did. They did. They did beat the spread. Um, Oregon State's defense is just so bad. And against a team like Arizona, they're just not going to be able to do much. Um, and that's pretty much all she wrote about this game. Yeah, there was, uh, I would say there was tackling issues for Oregon State. And not just like the ridiculous Khalil Tate factor. I think just general tackling issues. And that's, that's what, you know, it kind of looked more, we haven't, I don't think we've seen it as much with Corey Hall. Um, there's just been a little bit more fire there. But it just seems like, I don't know, maybe just, Playing against a Khalil Tate can be kind of demoralizing, but I thought that was uh, uh, was bad. They actually had a, a Veterans Day proposal, which was kind of cool. This was at Arizona. Um, and Tate's 71-yard run that you mentioned, Dave, uh, that was his fifth 70-plus-yard run of the season. Um, pretty good, but like Nick Wilson had over 100 yards. J.J. Uh, Taylor had over 120 he did, yeah. yards. So like... That's pretty cool. Like, you could have three guys go over 100 yards. And I thought, you know, to, to give for Oregon State side, I thought Daryl Garrison was really gut. Like, he was getting hit. I thought he had a really gutty effort out there. He took some huge hits. He had four touchdown passes, one interception. I think he threw, he threw for a little over 200 yards. But I thought he, you know, played pretty well and tried to – I mean, he's probably the reason why they were end up able, you know, to cover the spread. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's far. He was far from the worst Pac-12 quarterback on Saturday. No, yeah, we'll we'll get into those later. They, uh, I thought, like if you look at Arizona's run run game, obviously everything's clicking. You get that many guys go over 100 yards. The blocking was good. I mean, I think they did a really good job of that. But if you watch the receivers block too, like they they do a great job downfield. Like it's hard to get those 70 plus yard runs unless someone's blocking downfield. They'll take and just run around people and go by them. But it does help to get some of those receivers in. I thought they did a really good job. Um, so this is the third time in the last 10 games that Arizona's had 500 rushing yards. And uh, Tate, I think, only threw the ball seven times. And they yeah. still scored 49 points. So usually well, it, Tate's got a good mix, but he didn't have to throw much at all in this one. 
No, and it's it, it, your point about the wide receiver blocking is right on, and it's amazing that they stay that engaged in the game because even I mean, e- even in other games, I mean, Tate's not throwing the ball twenty five times. Um, they're not getting that many opportunities to catch, um, but they're still really locked in, which is I think a testament to some really good offensive coaching. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're contractually not allowed to talk about Oregon State any more than that. Um, so. <laughs> Is that is that true? Uh, we don't have a contract. Okay, we'll move on. Our number eleven team, Colorado Buffaloes, and they were hosting uh, what was our number two team at the time, USC Trojans. Yeah, so um, this was another game where we lost it narrowly. Uh, USC was favored by thirteen and a half. They ended up winning thirty eight twenty four. The final score is probably closer than this game really was. Um, USC was up twenty to nothing at halftime. Um, both teams started pretty slowly, um, but USC's defense did a pretty nice job of holding down Colorado, especially in that first half. Um, Steven Montez started to put a couple of things together, but he was—I thought he was really sloppy all game long. Um, he was throwing high. He was like really overthrowing receivers a lot. He seemed really amped up, like just a little bit too amped up for this game. Um, and really, I, I think we're probably we're probably denigrating USC a little too much for their early season struggles because over the last three games they've been a significantly better team. And Colorado kind of snuck back into this one. It wasn't the case that they were, you know, really in this one in the second half. Um, USC just kind of, um, you know, once they got the points they needed, they just kind of <laughs> let off the gas a little bit. <laughs> But when they needed to, I mean, Ronald Jones was spectacular. Sam Darnold was great. Um, this was probably one of the more complete games for the offense, I thought, this year. Um, probably one of the most balanced days for the offense this year. Um, so I thought it was just a nice USC win on the road. Um, and I don't, I think, you know, I don't think Colorado played that badly, but the, I don't think this was all that competitive. Yeah, it was. I think it was 27 nothing at one point, and uh, they ended up being... USC ended up blocking a couple of field goals, which is strange, and and Colorado went and blocked a punt that led to points, but two like uh, just blown coverages, as, as blown as you can get, long touchdown passes for Colorado, and that block punt really kind of you know kept it closer than it was. It actually gave us a chance with the spread, and USC's kicker um, has had a groin pull, and so they were still having him kick there. Like you know, uh, I think he missed a field goal, and then. Uh, Missed an extra point, and that extra point when it's like thirteen half point spread was going to be like money for us as far as like yeah USC wins by two touchdowns but they miss the extra point they win by thirteen and and we cover but then later on because of the kicker had missed the extra point they end up going for two one of those weird like you know swinging gate things or whatever anyway Sam Darnold just threw it to like a wide like a jump pass to a wide open freshman tight end Eric Cromenhoek and they end up getting the two points and I kind of knew watching Dave like. We're probably not covering because of that, and uh, yeah, that ended up be, that ended up being the difference in this one. But it it was one of those things where I thought Colorado might play a little bit better, and like Dave said, maybe he's a little too amped up. Um, you know, it wasn't Monta's best. He threw for three hundred seventy six yards, a couple of picks. Uh, really, Philip Lindsay, uh, they needed more from him. He had twenty carries for sixty eight yards. Um, so I think the USC rush defense did a really good job on him. And that was, if they could have got Lindsey going, then I think it could have been a kind of a closer contest than it was. Yeah, I, 
I've got like some fundamental issues with Colorado's offense. They seem to really, really want to be efficient. Like they want to just do like they would love to have a drive where they go twenty plays and dink and dunk down the field. I and they took a couple of shots in this one, and and the few times they did, it seemed like they were connecting, especially with Winfrey deep. I thought they should have been taking more shots, especially in the first half. And maybe some of it was Montez just being a little bit off, but I I just thought. I think this offense needs to be a little bit more boomer bust than it is. I think they try to they try to do these like long drives, and I just don't know that they're built for it. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Um, so where so where's Colorado sitting right now? They are so we we dropped all the way to eleven. Um, they're five and six, two and six in conference. Uh, they get a, a a great week twelve bye week, which is fun, <laughs> and then they got to play. At Utah, so they got to win at Utah to be bowl eligible. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what the APR stuff means, and if there's a five, if there's a lot of five team win teams that'll get to bowl games this year. But yeah, very likely they need to uh, need to beat Utah to get to six and six and get to a bowl game. All right, so another like very close. So that was a thirteen. So we lost this one by half point, right? And the other one we lost by like two two points, points I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, so moving back up the countdown our power rankings our number 10 team we have oregon ducks and they, they uh, buy. yeah they had a buy so nice good for oregon so get get rested up we love those november buys that wilner wrote about that too like five i think five packable teams have november buys and no other power five conference has any teams with a november buy is that so is that so. good I think most teams would agree that you want your buy in like early to mid October. That'd be good. So you can make some corrections for the rest of the season, and you can rest up after three or four games. Not like have a buy and then like two weeks left, or a buy one week left, or a buy and no weeks left. Like that would be, you know, that would be silly. Yeah, but we do this in the Pac-12 because that's where we are. Um, Okay, so our number nine team, also California Golden Bears. Also want to buy. Um, so go Cal. Nice job. Go there. Cal. Go Bears. Uh, go okay. Very good bye week. I heard it was the best bye week ever. Like they did rest it no, up. No, Todd, Todd Graham wasn't coaching them. Okay. <laughs> if Todd Graham was coaching, it would be the best bye week ever. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So our number eight team we have Utah Utes. And they were uh, hosting Washington State Cougars. Who were number three previously in our Pac 12 power rankings. Man, I, I don't think anyone has yet gotten used to the fact that this is a defensive-minded Washington State team. Um, their offense was just fine in this game. Maybe not even fine. Maybe not even good. But defensively, they harassed Tyler Huntley into three interceptions, um, limited Utah's rushing attack to just 62 yards on 36 carries, and ended up winning 33-25. Um, another game where it got close a little bit late, but... Uh, Washington State had a 16-point lead late. Um, this was, I mean, Hercules Mataafa, I, I know he got Defensive Player of the Week or whatever, but when you're looking back at this at this game, you're not going to necessarily think, oh, he was spectacular, but three sacks, two tackle, uh, five fa- tackles for loss, um, and was just in the backfield at all times um, and made it so hard on Tyler Huntley this entire game. This was... This was a really impressive defensive showing on the road for Washington State. The Cougars have not been a great road team this year, and um, this was, I thought, a really impressive win for them. Yeah, I mean, the kind of defensive performance that they were able to put together, and this was, 
you know, a Washington State team where you felt like they had a bunch of home games in a row. Um, I think they're 7-0 at home. Were they going to be able to do it on the road? And it was kind of a ugly-ish game at times. And I think if you, you know, Mike Leach talked about doing pretty well in all phases. There were some problems, but, uh, you know, all phases really uh, helping out here. I kind of felt like, you know, it's a game that Luke Falk, passed Matt Barkley for the most TD passes in uh, Pac-12 history. He has 118 passes. He gets to go back to his home state. So maybe Mike Leach was trying to like force the the pass a little bit. But, man, they only ran the ball 13 times. And they have a really good run. You know, yeah. I thought they could have run the ball more in this one. It's just it, the game took forever, and they kept throwing the football. It's like they could have milked this and kind of ended it if they ran the ball a little more. I'm not sure why they didn't do that. Yeah, that was weird. And one thing we should know is part of the reason we keep talking about the Washington State defense is Washington State's offense hasn't been great this year. This is probably, if you're looking at the numbers, this is probably Luke Falk's worst season as a starter. And this is his fourth year as a starter. Um, He hasn't been spectacular this year. And I don't know, I'm kind of wondering if um, maybe he's got like the NFL kind of thing in his mind because it seems like he's trying to do a lot of stuff to not make mistakes. Like if there's not something really obviously open he'll take a sack a lot more he's taken 34 sacks already this year um if he takes three more in this next game um he could get up to his previous career high which is 37 in 2015 um he just doesn't look quite right he doesn't look like he's making the best decisions um but that defense has been something to lean on they've just made so many plays in the backfield and uh against a team like utah which is really limited offensively uh that can be devastating and, you know, turnovers, there's certainly a luck factor uh, in them. But to force, you know, seven total turnovers for for Utah, uh, that's pretty spectacular. And it just seemed like, like if you watched Miami, they got that turnover chain and stuff. And it's just, it's something that fires people up for whatever reason. This is a defense that does get fired up for these turnovers. And it just looked like they were just whatever they could do to get the ball. And it was paying off. Sometimes you do that and it just doesn't pay off. It really did. And... To get seven turnovers and, you know, the kind of numbers that Luke Falk had, you felt like they should have won by more <laughs> than they oh, did. Oh, yeah. Um, but this was the only game I got right. Uh, so what was the spread? This was like a – this was kind of like a, a pick one, It was like a Washington State minus one, I think. Okay, yeah. But it, it felt like Washington State should have won by more than they did. Yeah, and uh, there were just so many plays. Like one of Huntley's picks – um, it was Mod Offa again, who like got in his face, and Huntley couldn't even really complete the throw. Like he couldn't fully extend his arm to complete it because Mod Offa was just standing right there, and so it just got dumped right into Hunter Dale's arms, and he ran it back almost for a touchdown. It was uh, this was a comprehensive defensive beatdown of Utah. Yeah. So, uh, so what's Utah got now? So Utah, they're they're five and five, two and five. So they they have to go on the road at Washington. Uh, who are not going to be happy this week, you would think. And uh, then they host Colorado. So that Colorado game could be for someone making a bowl, I would think. Yeah, that's going to be a bowl bowl. Yeah. And uh, Washington State controls their own destiny in the north. Um, so, yeah, we'll uh, – a bowl bowl. I like that. I like it's going to be a bowl bowl. Yeah, okay. a bowl uh, bowl. So let's see. So we have uh, our number – Seven team right now. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and they actually uh, 
So our, they took on our previous number 11 team, but they're now our number six team, so we'll mention them too. UCLA Bruins. Yeah, and just keep in mind, everything from six through 11, they're basically the same team. We're just kind of <laughs> throwing darts at this point. Um, UCLA won this game 44-37. Um, it was 14 nothing Arizona State early. Um, ASU had all the momentum, and then uh, they threw a pick six. And then from that point on, UCLA pretty much retook the momentum, and uh, Arizona State really couldn't stop UCLA's offense. Um, We have a lot of ASU listeners, so I'll just say this. Um, Watching this game, I I thought the most obvious takeaway is that Todd Graham and that entire Sun Devil um, offensive staff especially should be fired, like immediately. Um, This was a game where... So they were going against UCLA, which is the most... uh, well, certainly the weakest run defense uh, the Pac-12 has seen in many a moon. Um, and ASU uh, had Demario Richard, who was kind of plowing forward for you know four to ten yards a carry, pretty much the entire first half. Um, and then for whatever reason, they went away from him the second half, um, ran Kalen Balaj a lot more, and uh, Balaj was running laterally a bunch um, and. Running laterally against UCLA's defense is never a great idea because the one thing they are is pretty quick. Um, the one thing they are not is very disciplined, and so if you're running forward against them, you can get them out of gaps. Um, and ASU stopped doing that for whatever reason, went away from what was successful, and their whole offensive attack kind of fluttered from that point on. Sputtered would probably be a better word. Um, and UCLA won 44-37. But um, I thought this was another game where uh, the opposing offensive staff might have been the biggest asset for UCLA. Um, and we got this one wrong, too. Obviously, it was a pick game. We both felt this was going to be ASU's to win. It was funny. like You felt like the Arizona State offense needed to run the ball more. They still almost ran for 300 yards, which that's about the average of what UCLA's given up. But you felt like there was more potential there. Um, you know, Huge, obviously, getting Josh Rosen back. Uh, he threw an early pick. He was bleeding, but I think he brought this kind of toughness. And you mentioned that pick six. It just seemed like if if that doesn't happen, ASU wins like running away. And that that oh, like, yeah. it it gave UCLA such momentum. It, whatever it was, it was this pick me up. Um, that was huge. UCLA's five and zero at home and zero on the road, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, I thought Manny Wilkins, he leaped over that guy for the touchdown run. That was pretty cool. That was one of those uh, highlight moments. And then it looked like UCLA was kind of in control, and ASU ends up blocking the field goal and ends up uh, tying it at 34. It just kind of went back and forth a little bit. But early on, that 14 nothing, it just seemed like it could have been more, and the pick six just kind of turned things around. But lots of energy and passion from the Bruins, so maybe you know, I don't know if they're rallying around Jim Moore or just getting Josh Rosen back, but they – at least after that pick six, it seemed like everybody cared, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I, I want to touch on this again because I want to hit it even harder. So DeMario Richard had 21 carries for 125 yards, running, like, downhill every time. And this was, like, six yards a carry. Uh, Kalen Balazs had 21 carries for 97 yards. So that was a little under five yards a carry. If you're a running back and you're averaging under five yards a carry against UCLA, you should switch positions. <laughs> Um, so, and I, I just, I, I really didn't understand what ASU was doing offensively. I thought Manny Wilkins was pretty bad in this one and giving him the ball to throw it 37 times. And he kept walking into sacks over and over again. I thought that was a mistake. I thought this was a game where 
you know, it probably wouldn't have been 98 plays if they'd run the ball more. Like, they should have run the ball, you know, maybe not 61 times. Maybe it should have been like 65, 66 times. But they would have controlled it a little bit better and just run differently. Um, Not running at this UCLA defense was just such a weird decision. Spoke to maybe a lack of scouting or a lack of confidence in their scouting, but it was just um, really bizarre. But you you have to give UCLA credit. Um, The offense... um, was very good um josh rosen was 25 of 45 but he had probably like six or seven drops in the first half where guys just you know hit him in the hands or the chest and they just dropped it um i thought this was one of his better games of the year actually but uh yeah i mean for ucla to rally at home after looking pretty bad the previous two weeks and now being on the cusp of bull eligibility if they can get a win the next two weeks is pretty cool for them yeah and uh one quick thing like you, we know about UCLA's run defense. <laughs> ASU's run defense is pretty bad too. UCLA averaged three point two yards per carry, which I believe is the worst in the Pac twelve. And they had eight and a half <laughs> per carry in yeah. this game, so they were running all over this ASU defense. Yeah, yeah, and that was—I mean, it was a wide variety of things too. Both run from me was running downhill at them, but then they also had a couple of big, like wide receiver reverses from Eldridge Bassington and Christian Babico. Uh, for both like over 30 yard gains so this was pretty much a comprehensive you know rushing attack against asu and uh ucla mixed and matched pretty well offensively um jed fish called a nice game so ucla five and five also there's a lot of five and fives um at usc and then cal on a friday night at home so good you know good chance to make a bowl and then uh arizona state uh five and five but at oregon state and then arizona at home so you know a bunch of teams could end up six and six, Dave. It seems like it's going to be a lot of Pac-12 teams in very bad bowl games. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that was ASU and uh, UCLA. Our number five team is Arizona Wildcats. So we talked about them. They uh, they beat Oregon State. Uh, let's see. So our number. Four team we have Washington Huskies, <laughs> and they were on the road uh, taking on what used to be our number five team, and is now our uh, number three team, Stanford Cardinal. God, this was the most Stanfordy game, um, especially <laughs> after like the first quarter. Um, so Washington went on the road. They were our previous number one team, so of course they lost um, thirty to twenty-two to Stanford. Um, Stanford, let me get this because okay, they only ended up with a time of possession advantage of thirty-six minutes to a little under twenty-four. Which okay, that sounds pretty Stanford. But like during the critical moments in this game, they controlled it for so long. It felt like Washington barely had the ball in the third quarter. Um, Stanford just controlled this. They were getting, you know, early on in the game, I kept saying, well, they can't just continue to be this efficient because Washington, I mean, they're going to stop them at some point. But Stanford just kept getting three, four yards, three, four yards, three, four yards over and over and over again. They had one 14-play scoring drive, a 10-play scoring drive, a 13-play scoring drive, um, and a 9-play scoring drive. I mean, they had... This was like kind of a vintage Stanford offensive performance, and they did mix in some explosive plays. This is probably the most explosive a team has been against Washington this year. Certainly the best an offense has been against Washington this year. You know, going into this game, 
Washington had allowed a max of 23 points. And those 23 points, seven of them were a defensive touchdown against UCLA. That was the max total of points they'd allowed this year in a single game. And Stanford scored 30 on them. Um, and, you know, that was really it. I mean, um, KJ Costello I thought was good. Uh, Bryce Love, you know, his stats aren't going to, like, wow you the way they did at the beginning of the year. But this was one of his most impressive efforts of the season because you could tell just how much he was hurting. Like, his ankle was bad in this game. And he still went out there and he had one long explosive touchdown for 35 yards or so. Um, but also just he went in there and was playing tough. Um, for Washington offensively, I thought they ran the ball well. Um, Jake Browning, I just – he didn't do anything for me in this one. No. I just didn't. And he made some bad decisions late. Um, took some sacks that he didn't need to take. I just thought it was a subpar game for him. But Stanford just controlled it, I thought, at both ends. So this was the premier game, right, for the Pac-12 yep. this weekend. Um, this is kind of like, you know, <laughs> Auburn, Alabama or something like that. And it Which was is on, also superseded by truck racing, right? N- no. no. It was on a Friday night, Dave. Did you, so they put this game on Friday night. Washington and Stanford. So – on a Friday night. And then I'm in my hotel room, you know, getting ready to go out because I'm, you know, at a fall wedding, which sure. I don't like. And you turn on FS1 and, you know, you're at the hotel. You're, oh, FS1, that's cool. We get it. There, It's truck racing. And it's not, it's truck racing and it's in a caution. And they're not doing anything on truck racing. And then you look through the guide. Well, they don't get FS2 in the hotel room. So I guess you got to miss it. And if, you know, the reports were that, most of the cable companies in Seattle don't even carry FS2. So if you're a big Husky fan and you want to turn in, tune in and watch this premier matchup in the Pac-12 North between powerhouses, you couldn't even watch it. I mean, yeah. how big of an epic fail is that? It's enormous. It's the, I mean, it's the second week in a row this has happened. Uh, UCLA, Utah, the previous week on a Friday night, superseded by truck racing. And it's like, and part of the hilarity is, it's freaking truck racing. <laughs> Who's watching that? Like, if you're out there and you watch truck racing, could you let me know why? Because I watched a little bit of it because I didn't really notice yet that it was not <laughs> it was not on the, the football game I was trying to watch. And it's, I mean, and for, I think they were on a red flag or whatever, a caution. Yeah, or, it was caution. I don't know. I don't know anything about truck racing or racing in general. But for like the entire time, like it was like 20 minutes of just caution flag. Because they just kept getting in accidents because they're driving pickup trucks. <laughs> that was so weird. Well, I don't know why people watch that. So I flipped it over. I think that whatever the game was started at 730 or whatever it was. And uh, I flipped it over like 20, 30 minutes early. Saw there was truck racing. Saw there was like 20 laps or something. Like there was something reasonable left. I'm like, okay, it'll be done. And then I come back like 25 minutes later and it's like, you know, five laps of the laps. And it's like this caution. So I'm like, oh, crap. And I don't get the other thing. So it's just, it's just terrible. I don't, I'm not going to begrudge anyone that likes truck racing. That's fine. But I would think if your, your truck racing ratings versus a college football ratings would be significantly different and that you could put the truck racing over to something else and not the college football to something else like Fox Business or, or FS2. Um, that's just bad. That, that looks terrible for the conference. It happened two, two weeks in a row. That just can't happen. Um, but so about the game, I just couldn't believe in the fourth quarter when Jake Browning got sacked for like 
a hundred yards? What was it? It was like the, the biggest sack like, a, like I've ever it seen. It was a million yards. <laughs> it was all the yards. He got sacked to like the three, and I think the play started on like the 25. It was like ridiculous. Like, how do you let that happen? And there was like a fourth and 21 where he tried to run, and that was kind of stupid too. But um, this Washington defense, he, he believes, though. He believes he is so, so fast. Like, yeah. he believes he is the fastest guy on the field. It's It was it was bad. He's We've always talked about... He's a better. He's a good quarterback when things are on schedule, and things were not on schedule in this game. And you can't rely on him to just go out and make big plays. And he's not a dude that's going to carry your team. And, and not, not that that's. I mean, that's just not the kind of quarterback he is. But this Washington defense had given up three rushing touchdowns all year, and Love got three of them uh, by himself. So uh, it was pretty good. So coming into the the game, they had allowed opposing offenses 3.7 yards per play. That was number one in the country. I think we talked about it uh, last week. Um, and then Stanford had 18 third down attempts and averaged 9.7 yards per play. It was going to be uh, – it would have been 10 yards per play if they didn't have like that kneel down at the end of the – third down kneel down at the end of the contest. I mean, they were really good on third down. You talk about the long drives. That's why they were able to do it, and it was very Stanford-like. They would they would get the third down, and they would pick it up, and they would keep the chains moving and keep things going. And then you know Love would pop at a big one every once in a while. And Love came out of the game, and it looked like he was done. It was like okay, he's not coming back, and he comes back, you know. And Shaw talked about him just you know being basically playing on one leg. It was it was pretty amazing his performance, and he's a kind of guy that can carry your team. And I think he was a, a huge part of it. KJ Costello played well. I think they probably should have been starting him way earlier. Oh yeah, maybe you would have had a better, you know, game last week. But um, it was it was big. I mean, to do this to the Washington defense that was statistically the best in the country yards per play, pretty impressive from uh, David Shaw and his boys. I mean, they wanted revenge, I think, from last year, Dave, and they got it. Yeah, what I didn't understand for Washington was why they didn't run the ball more. Um, you know, they, they with Miles Gaskin especially, he only had 18 carries in this game, and he ran for 120 yards. Um, and the the mix of playing calling, especially in the third quarter, it just kind of baffled me. Um, they would get to, like, and, you know, there weren't that many plays to choose from because, again, Stanford controlled the ball for so long, and so you had to be a little bit more perfect with what you were calling. And there were plays, like, they had, like, a second and four at Stanford's 47 in the third quarter, and they draw up this pass play to uh, Dante Pettis down the field, gets broken up, and then it's third and four. And this is, you know, it's approaching two down territory. You can run the ball on third and four there. And Stanford's run defense isn't good. Like, it's not good. It's, again, a situation where it felt like Washington's offensive staff had scouted Stanford from, like, three years ago rather than scouting them this year. Stanford is one of the worst rushing defenses in the conference this year. Um, they're giving up 4.7 yards per carry. They're not great. Um, and it was just, you know, it's just weird that they didn't try to run the ball more against this defense, especially with Jake Browning not looking too hot this game. Um, so, yeah, I, I, Jonathan Smith gets a lot of hype as an offensive coordinator and as a potential head coaching candidate at a lot of places. And I, I just haven't really seen it at any point. I mean, last year they were good offensively, but how much of that was just due to having John Ross? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that, you know him not being there has been a huge thing. And if you listen to uh, uh, the Pac-12 uh, report, you know, Pac-12 Network afterwards, so they you know, they got Lincoln Kennedy up there talk. You know, he went to Washington, and he was saying Jake Browning's regressed as a junior. He's just not seen the growth 
um, and he's not performing when there's pressure on him. And I, you know, I agree. And that's that's coming from a, a Washington alum. It's just you know he's he's obviously a really good quarterback, but something you know something's not quite working. And when they when they need him, like Washington's such a well coached team, it's just like when things are working, it's fine. But if things aren't working, sometimes you just need the quarterback to go out and just do stuff. You know, you saw. Josh Rosen do it against Texas A&M. Yeah. Just take the, you know, we've seen Sam Darnold do it. You, you've seen, you know, Luke Falk do it. Um, but we just haven't seen really Jake Browning do it, at least that, that I remember, at least, or at least not that often. Yeah, so is he still a top 10 quarterback in the Pac-12 for you? I'm, I'm thinking about <laughs> I mean, you could literally argue he's not, right? Like, could you? You could, like, you could make a fair argument. I mean... He has Are you really to arguing he has to he's worse there. than Daryl Garrettson? I mean, Gar- Garrettson was like so gutty in that game. Like, I haven't seen Browning be gutty, you know? Are you arguing he's worse than Manny Wilkins? You, you, you could. You can make the argument. I don't, th- I, I don't, I don't think, think he it's is. a fair argument no, to make. I, mean, I don't think he is. But I think Jake Browning is like, if we're being like completely serious, I think he's comfortably like top eight. And like somewhere in there, yeah. like he's not necessarily eighth. But wasn't but, he like Pac-12 like offensive player of the year last year? Right? Is that? Yeah. And, and this is, I mean, this is a huge regression this year, and his his stats aren't necessarily going to bear it out. Um, if anything, his stats are like a little bit better than last year in terms of completion percentage, um, yards per attempt are a little bit down. But he hasn't. He just hasn't thrown as many touchdowns. Um, he's thrown five picks. Um, and it's weird because he's not getting sacked as much. Like he's not under as much pressure, and he's just just doesn't look great. And maybe it's teams are backing off of him a little bit more and just daring him to throw. And he they're realizing that he can't hit a lot of the throws. I think last year too it was just the team was so good. It's it's one of those things. Sometimes when you're the best team, the quarterback's fine. Like you're gonna you know Gino Toretto what you know wins the Heisman right? Like it's something. It's kind of something like that. Like, um, but. You mentioned that it was a very Stanford-like game. One quick thing on that, too. Um, I thought it was, too. But they Stanford utilized a lot of their mismatches well with the bigger receivers and the bigger tight ends on smallish corners that, that Washington has. Um, I think it was Arcega, like he had Whiteside had like 130 yards. He's like a 6'3 dude, right? And he's got like a 5'8 corner on him. Um, they just utilize those kind of mismatches really well a lot. And uh, that's a very Stanford kind of thing. And they move the ball. Uh, Gaskin had three touchdowns. So, that I mean, he got those. But he did have a big fumble, I thought, that shifted the momentum too a little bit. Yeah, that's true. It's absolutely true. But I still think, look, there was a strength for Washington offensively in this game. It was on the ground. And I just, you know, it just seemed like a mistake to go away from it, especially when they needed to, they needed to possess the ball a little bit more. Like, And I'm not yeah. a big-time possession aficionado, but, I mean, they needed to have the ball a little bit more in that third quarter because Stanford will just happily take five or six minutes to drive down the field and score. Like, yeah. they're they're completely fine with that. Well, that was the, the premier game, in the you know, and it was a pretty good game, but it was Friday night. It was on FS. I mean, just, ugh. Pac-12, yep. you got to do better. Um, you got a whole podcast dedicated to you, Pac-12. You got to do better. Um <laughs> Okay, so the last couple teams we've already talked about. Number two, Washington State Cougars. And the dreaded number one spot that no one wants ever. Uh, number one we have USC Trojans. Wow, all the fans are going to think I planned that. <laughs> 
putting they USC are. number one. Oh, yeah, you're really the, the cursed ranking. Um, yeah, you kind of have to put them there. They they clinch the South, but that's yeah. but you get cursed. Washington stayed there for two weeks, so that's okay, I guess. Like right, like I guess did they have a buy in there? No, they didn't. No, they won. What did they? Who did it they? was versus Oregon. They beat Oregon. Yeah, they beat Oregon pretty good. Okay. So okay. Those, All right. So maybe it's immune to rivalry. The uh, curse is immune to rivalry. I don't know. We're pretty cursy. Um, but yeah. So all rivalries are immune to the curse. I should say. Horrible, horrible picks. We got to do better uh, this time through. We just have to do sure. better, Dave. We just uh, gotta. We gotta get back to our fundamentals. All right. Yeah. Picking analyzing Picking. you know just the fundamentals of the sport but that when we were looking at like who were our locks last week like those were our locks were, i mean i think you see every like, single like, one wrong no one of our locks was um was washington over stanford they were favored by six and we were like oh of course why aren't they favored by 15 yeah but stanford played well washington did not and i think the the pick on the arizona state ucla like we just felt like UCLA was not going to win this game, but no, we were wrong. We um, were wrong. Yeah. Which okay. is why I'm so bitter with Todd Graham and the ASU coaching staff. <laughs> okay. Well, let's jump in. So we have five more games uh, this week. So there's a couple more uh, buys. We're going to go in order. They're all on Saturday. So we have no um, Friday game. So we're going to start off with, we're going to talk about uh, this team. Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> on the road. Coming off a bye. Oregon Ducks. Nope. No? Did I get that wrong? It's it's the first game is ASU at Oregon State. Oh really? I'm sorry, I put I must have put the uh is that on a We're at twelve twelve PM on Saturday? Let me hold on, Mike. Arizona State at Oregon Oh they okay, I had it I had the reverse order. Okay, so this was a four o'clock game. I'm sorry. Okay, so we'll We'll switch that up. We'll go. Um, I'm sorry, I got that order wrong. So, the 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 early game is going to be Arizona State Sun Devils <laughs> on the road at Oregon State Beavers. My apologies. Look, we do, we don't want to mistake our crappy Pac-12 games. All right, my like, my it, mistake it, there. It doesn't matter which five and five team is playing which five and five team, and they're all five and five, even if they're not. Oregon State's not five and five; they're one and nine, but they feel five and five. Yeah. Um, so this game's at twelve noon on the Pac-12 Network in Corvallis, Arizona State going at Oregon State. ASU is favored by seven points, but as we all know, Oregon State's been a different team at home since Corey Hall took over. Um, the Beavers didn't play well last week in Arizona. Um, I think they're going to be motivated to win a game this year. Um, Oregon next week will be a, a potential win as well. I'm going to take Oregon State uh, plus the seven here. Um, I didn't like the way ASU looked last week. Um, I thought they looked like, you know, it was weird because I was expecting that game to be more of a UCLA potentially quitting. Um, and really it looked like ASU was the mentally weaker team. And I think that speaks to some, uh, coaching issues. Um, and so I'm going to take Oregon State here plus the seven. I might even take Oregon State outright. Wow. Um, I think they're going to be able to move the ball against ASU. I wasn't impressed with ASU's defense. Um, and I think their defense will play inspired against uh, 
ASU offense that also has not been great this year by any stretch of the imagination. So give me Oregon State. I don't know about the to win, but definitely plus the seven. I'm going to, because your picks were so bad last week, I'm just going to take ASU just based on that. No, um, I kind of <laughs> feel like, so Oregon State, there was some fire, especially at home early on with Corey Hall. Um, I'm not sure if it's still there. You know, there was some, some fight with Garrettson. I think ASU kind of bounced back and wins this one. It's tough back-to-back road games and stuff like that, but um, I'm going to take ASU. So mostly because you didn't. And, and well, you- Oregon State just, I mean, what you're saying is, I mean, but Oregon State just had back-to-back road games themselves. They're back at home. They're excited right. to be back at home. No, they are. I think they, they'll, I think they'll be, but I don't think they're going to be as excited as they were early. Like, I think changing coaches, you get some momentum, and I think that's kind of worn off a little bit. And moral victories early are one thing. I don't, you know, moral loss after moral loss, after, I just don't think it's going to happen. So it, I think it's going to be hard to kind of string it together and get really excited for this game. Well, I'm liking this because every week that you've picked a lot of games against me, I've I've blown you out. So let's let's keep this streak going. Okay. Well, I, it's only one. There's only one game. I know, but but one out of uh, out of one so far. Yeah. So so I'm gonna go. And maybe I'll go opposite you the whole time. That would have been great if I did that last week. That'll be so much fun. Uh, let's see. We're, so this one, the one I previously mentioned, my bad. Or too early. Arizona Wildcats. Wow. They're also traveling. Uh, to the, is the Emerald State? Is that right? Is that right? What they are? Oh, they're going to Oregon Ducks. Is it the Emerald State? Should I Google that real quick? I'm gonna I'm gonna Google it right here. You Google it. Um, this is no. I think Emerald State is Washington. Damn it! That that would make more sense, right? Oregon State nickname. Hold on. We got to get this right. We got to get this right for the people. <laughs> it's but, the Beaver State. Oh. Ooh, I Man. might have changed my pick then. I Oregon, re- you got to be upset about this. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like delivering them news that they've known for like 140 years. Um, all right, so at 4 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. So coming right after Arizona State and Oregon State. After Oregon State pulls off the massive upset, Arizona going at Oregon. Uh, the line on this game is a pick'em. Um, it's, uh, I think it's still uncertain just because nobody knows if and when Justin Herbert will be back for the Ducks. I think some people are expecting him to be back. Um, it looks like Willie Taggart provided an update just today, and he said he's doing well. His bone is healing really good. So there's that. His bone is healing really good. Um, I'm going to take uh, Khalil Tate in Arizona over the – uh, Oregon team whose quarterback's bone may may or may not be healing good. Because <laughs> um, if, if if Braxton Burmeister is playing in this game, um, I, I don't see him winning a shootout against Khalil Tate. Uh, I think Oregon, I think as soon as Justin Herbert comes back, they'll be back to being competitive. But without him, I think this is just kind of a shell of what it looked like at the beginning of the year. I, I mean, I don't mean to like, um, worry any Oregon fans. I haven't been super impressed with Willie Taggart this year. It seemed very much like he's just tried to keep doing what they do with Braxton Burmeister instead of, you know, trying to fit who he is as a quarterback. Um, they haven't tried to do anything too tricky, um, haven't tried to do anything too crazy, and I think you need to when you've got a quarterback who can't throw. Um, so 
I like Arizona here. I think Khalil Tate's going to run all over them. Um, and if, if Justin Herbert's back, maybe it'll be a little bit closer. But I think Arizona is going to win by a touchdown, 10 points, something in that range. Yeah, agree 100%. Uh, Arizona, we have them at number five. Oregon, we have number 10. It's a pick em. That's a no-brainer. Take Arizona. You know, I, I would give up points here and uh, and still take Arizona. It, it doesn't matter who's the quarterback for Oregon right now. Now, could Herbert come back and they go crazy? Yeah, I mean, that's possible. But I think it's more likely that Arizona's been the better team the last six weeks or so. So I think they're going to do it. But is it kind of weird that both Arizona schools are going to be in Oregon like and playing like four hours apart like uh i kind of feel like that happens a lot to arizona more than it happens to like the other tandem schools like it seems like they also have competing home games a lot yeah is it like a year you too because every time there seems to be a big marquee game at arizona there's a big marquee game at asu as well which i don't remember like you know hey usc and ucla are both going to the bay area this week like anything like that like i just right that's just kind of weird that that's uh I don't know. That's kind of happening. It feels like it happens much more often in Arizona because I, I can remember the occasional Bay Area trip where that happened with UCLA and, a, and USC, but not as often. Um, just seems pretty nuts. Yeah. All right. So those are the Arizona schools on the road at the Oregon schools. Next up, we have we got a rivalry game, Dave. Rivalry games. You ready for this? We have. I'm ready. You ready? All right. California Golden Bears <laughs> on the road. Uh, going across the bay from East Bay to, I guess we call it the South Bay, taking on Stanford Cardinal. I really wouldn't call it the South Bay. They were like I used to live in like Mountain View, and I think they called us the South Bay. And Palo Alto is like just north of that, or what? What are they like? It's Peninsula. I'm not sure. I don't even know what you would call it. I, I mean, I think yeah. I don't know. I li- yeah. When I lived South- in Mountain View, I think they called us the South Bay, but. Maybe. Anyway, uh, this game's on at 5 p.m. <laughs> on Big Fox. Uh, Cal going at Stanford. In Stanford, Stanford's favored by 16. Um, you know, Cal's another one of those Pac-12 teams that has been an entirely different team on the road versus at home this year. Um, they lost to Colorado, looked bad. Lost to Washington, looked bad. Lost to Oregon, looked bad on the road. And then their home games, they've been really competitive, if not winning. You know, USC, they won at home. Ole Miss, they beat at home. Washington State, they beat at Or USC, sorry, they lost by 10 at home, but they were competitive. Uh, Washington State, they won at home. Arizona, it was a really competitive game. They lost by a point at home, and they beat Oregon State at home. This is a road game, but it's also pretty close to home. That's why these rivalry games are always kind of interesting. They should have a healthy contingent of fans there, I would imagine. If anyone in the Bay Area cares about football, um, Cal fans certainly generally care a little bit more than Stanford fans. All that said, I can't see them pulling off the upset. I think that's a little too much. Um, I don't like Stanford minus 16. I think that's just a little bit too much. I think Cal will be competitive. I've liked the moxie of Russ Browers. I don't think he's been great this year, but I think he's been... um, He's competed in the parlance of, like, so many stupid color commentators. He's been a competitor out there. Um, And so I I, I think they'll hang tough for a while, and then Stanford will be content to win this by, like, 13 points. So you're going to take Cal? I'll take Cal. Yeah, I can't pick – like, look, I like the way Stanford's playing. You never can pick them to cover a big point spread. Like, it's so rare that they do that. They'll do it every once in a while and bite you. 
But if you pick Stanford, you know, if you pick against Stanford when they got a big point spread, you're usually doing pretty well. And uh, I think Cal will be tough enough. It's not that far. Obviously, you know, it's funny. Um, well, we'll talk about this in the next one, but it's like you can still stay in your regular team hotel and just drive to the game. So it's it's kind of like not like a road game, I guess. It's just a longer bus ride, like from your hotel. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't I don't think it should be that bad for him. Yeah. All right, so we're both going to agree on that one. We'll both take Cal on the road. I think I took all road teams. Um, man, it's just after a one-and-four week, that could be bad. Okay, we have a another rivalry game. This time it's UCLA Bruins. On the road, taking on USC Trojans. All right, so this game's on an, against the Cal-Stanford game at 5 p.m. on ABC. It's a great scheduling. Uh, UCLA going at... Number 11, USC. USC's favored also, like Stanford, by 16 points. So I have I have an issue this year um, because I watch a lot of UCLA games, so I know how you're supposed to play against UCLA, which is you're supposed to just run, just run, just run, just run, just run. Keep running just directly at the center of the defense, just over and over and over again. And um, so many staffs have failed to understand that, and USC's offensive staff has been prone been prone to lapses of concentration. Do you think that's fair? Sure. Yes. Is that a fair way of phrasing it? Um, so, I mean, the obvious play here is to hand the ball to Ronald Jones upwards of twenty eight times and have him run for you know two hundred and fifty yards. Will USC do that? Maybe. But I could also see a scenario where they want to showcase Sam Darnold in the big competition against Josh Rosen and get him in the limelight, you know, throwing the ball 35, 40 times. And that seems like that would be foolish. Um, so I'm in, I'm, I'm kind of a warring mind because I think USC is, you know, probably pound for pound and coach for coach better than 16 points, better than UCLA. But I just don't know if they're going to make the right uh, decisions, so I'll take UCLA plus the 16. I don't feel good about it, Man, but I'll do it. you are such a homer. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm talking about how garbage UCLA's run defense is, and the only thing that keeps them in games is how bad offensive staffs are for opposing teams. Yeah, I'm I'm not breaking my rule, like I'm not picking. I'm, I pick against USC every week uh, against the spread, and I'm going to continue like, this is just a lot of points. Now USC's covered the spread the last couple of weeks, so they've they've got there. Um, you know they they've done it. So they're you know they're they still have. I think they're covered three times this year, um, but this one's just a lot of points. Rosen's back. I think they can. UCLA's run the ball fine. Um, you know that it's a much better USC run defense, I think, than what they saw last week. But you know Rosen, we've seen quarterbacks just throw for a crap load of yards against this USC secondary at times, lapses where you just make a big play. They might make some good plays, but then they give up the big plays too. Um, I just think they'll be able to keep it close. I, I think USC wins, but I think it's more of a 7-10 point game. So I'll, I'll take those points, uh, those moist points. Those slurp up those moist points. <laughs> yeah, I don't – like USC's defense has been just fine this year, and I think Rosen – He's played well um, when he's been healthy. So UCLA will score, 
Um, I just don't think they're going to successfully stop USC over and over again, but USC's offensive staff might stop themselves. Yeah, they so. like to have balance, and they do. They want to get balance for whatever reason, and if like if you know Ronald Jones is going nuts, they'll put somebody else in. They'll start doing something else. They're just it's just been weird. You know, it's not like oh, this is the obvious thing you should be doing and do it. Um, this is that classic game where the opposing offensive staff could really call like three plays just over and over and over again, <laughs> and UCLA wouldn't be able to stop it. But so many. You know, it's the same thing. You just kind of over overthink things a little bit, I think. Um, a lot of these guys are prone to doing that. But, yeah, if ever there was a game for Sam Darnold to throw the ball, like, no more than 18 times and just run the ball, like, 50 times, this is it. Yeah. All right, so our last uh, Pac-12 game. Uh, this is an important one for, uh, which is our number eight team. Utah Utes. And they're going to be on the road. Uh, in Seattle, taking on our former number one team, now our number four team, Washington Huskies. Yes, this one's on at seven thirty on ESPN. Utah at number nine, Washington. Washington's favored by seventeen and a half. Um, I think they're going to play a really pissed off game. Um, I think this is going to be one of those games where they're just trying to take out all their frustrations from last week on this poor Utah team. Um, and Utah hasn't been great. Um, they haven't been great defensively. They've been far from good offensively. I think Washington's going to harass Tyler Huntley much the same way that Washington State just did. Um, and I think their rushing attack is going to pound this Utah team. I would take Washington minus like 25 in this game, but I'll take them definitely minus 17 and a half. Wow. Um, I think I'm going to go with Utah in this one. Wow! Wow! I think I will. Like, partially just because your picks are garbage. Um, No, (laughs) mine were too. I'm Uh, still over 500, am I? Aren't I? Yeah, yeah, you are. Um, So, yeah, I I just don't think Washington's that good. And I think they'll be pissed off, and I think they're going to come back. But 17 and a half, like, everything would just have to be working. Um, I think Utah will be able to, like, keep it closer than that. I think Washington wins. But again, maybe it's like 10, 11, 14 points, something like that. But I'm going to take Utah on this one. Okay. I'm all okay. road teams. I went all road teams, and they were mostly dogs. So Arizona's a Okay, pick so we disagreed on what? Arizona State and Utah then? Arizona State and Utah, yeah. Okay. So we, there's two of them different. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Couple, we have to get a couple right this week. There's, there's not going to be a, a one for nine since we differ a couple of times. But man, that was just a horrible, horrible, uh, horrible, horrible week. I want to, I want to make a prediction. Um, so people always, people often ask us for our lock. I want to give you my lock for our wrong pick of the week. Okay. So this is my lock for us being wrong, and that's the UCLA USC game. Okay. So you think USC is going to cover by a lot? Yeah, yeah, but I'm not predicting it. You okay. see, but that's if I'm having to pick a lock for us being wrong, that's the one. Okay, I, I think that's because USC could cover that game by 35. They, I mean, yeah, they could. Um, I don't know, but the, the the other issue is it doesn't really mean as much because USC had already clinched the South. It's it's the rivalry game, but is there any of that? You know, do they want to rest some guys, you know, heading into the championship game? No, because they still have the outside, outside, outside chance at the playoff. Yeah. I can't imagine they want to take an L at this point and eliminate that 
really, really outside chance, but whatever outside chance is still remaining. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our week 11 recap and our week 12 preview. Hopefully our picks are better. Um, you want to get to some questions, Dave? Yes, let's do it. And apologies to everyone an hour and a half in that, that I um, sound like I've been smoking three packs a day for the last 15 years. <laughs> uh, I'm nursing a cold that's getting worse as I talk. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. It's not your fault. It's not anyone's fault. It's my own fault and my children. I blame them. All right. We've got a question from Scott in Washington. Okay. Friday Night Football on FS1 being preempted by NASCAR Truck Racing. Ryan and Dave, for the second week in a row, the Pac-12 Friday night game is being preempted by NASCAR Camping World Truck Racing in front of a race crowd at the track in the hundreds. To put it in context, this is equal to being bumped by a double uh, A baseball game in the hierarchy of NASCAR racing. This perfectly sums up why Pac-12 fans think Larry Scott is a joke and on the national level only reinforces the image of Pac-12 football being a second-rate conference. Hashtag pathetic. 100% agree. Scott. Yeah, Scott, we can't, you know, it's like I don't know the hierarchy of, of racing, but if it's like Friday night, um, the, the contract has to be written better where the, the football game takes precedent. It just has to be. Like that's a yeah. huge failure. And I read that in Washington they don't get FS2. Right. So for like the first whatever 10 minutes of the first quarter, they were without this game, which is just nuts. Yeah. I actually said so that not. on the podcast, Dave. You probably weren't listening or whatever, like if you're, you know, but. Whatever. <laughs> whatever, you hater. Um, Scott, no, I mean, 100% agree. This is, and I don't think, you're not going to get good answers out of the conference. They, I mean, they're doing this. They're trying to get things on TV. They'll they'll do contracts that hurt the schools. They'll do contracts that get bumped. You know, t- the games get bumped exposure like all that stuff doesn't seem to matter to the conference it's just how much money can we squeeze out of these tv contracts so they'll bend over backwards and take any kind of you know whatever the the tv networks want the pac-12 seems to want to do it yep um you want me to read the next one please jonathan in uh lafayette california he says dear dave and ryan if the podcast of champions number one slot is basically your equivalent of the Sports Illustrated coverage,ing then does that mean you can also predict unlikely winners like the Astros years in advance? If so, what perennial Pac-12 seller dweller do you predict to find great management and win the Pac-12 or even reach the playoff in 2021? So that's four years from now. Okay, I'm tempted to say Cal, which saddens me as a Stanford fan. We have a Stanford fan? That's awesome. Uh, Wow. Please please tell me no chance. Keep up the great work. You are full of interesting insights combined with fun snark. We love it. Go hashtag nerd nation, Jonathan, in Lafayette, California. Okay, so 2021. Yes. Um, So that's four seasons from now. Um, I mean, the obvious answer is Cal because we like their coaching staff. Um, but what's the upside for Cal? Like, what's their long-term upside? Like, I mean, I guess in the early aughts, they were recruiting at a pretty high level with, like, the Marshawn Lynch. Um, you know, they got Jared Goff at one point. Aaron Rodgers. They had Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) I mean, they've had, they've had some dudes. So, Deshaun Jackson. I mean, they've had some guys. 
So Cal can recruit at a pretty high level. Um, that was in a different Pac-12 conference, Pac-10 conference then. But I think, yeah, I think Cal makes the most sense. I don't, I don't see Oregon State getting there in four years. Um, it could certainly happen with the right coach, but I don't see it. And other cellar dwellers, I mean, it's hard to find another perennial cellar dweller. Cellar dweller. Holy hell, that's hard to say. Um, cellar dweller in the Pac-12, because Arizona's surging right now. ASU has been back and forth between being pretty good and mediocre. Um, I mean, UCLA is back-to-back, you know, potential losing seasons here. Um, so, I mean, this is a topsy-turvy conference, but there's two basic options, or maybe three, depending on how you feel about Colorado's season last year, if that was a fluke. So, Colorado, Cal, Oregon State, I think I'm more bullish on Cal's chances in 2021. And, you know, and I'm, like, I wouldn't be as strict as, you know, the rules. I would definitely say you could count Colorado because, you know, they haven't had back-to-back bowl wins and or back-to-back bowl seasons in, in so long. Um, I mean, could you include, like, an Oregon? Like, I could see... They've fallen off, um, you know, and, and Willie Taggart, do you feel like in four years he's got them being a power? I, I would count that if you, if you want to, you know, feel that's there. Uh, you know, even like in Arizona, um, you know, they won the South a few years ago, but and they're surging now. Um, obviously, Khalil Tate's not going to be there, but do you feel like they could recruit more guys like Khalil Tate? And- Dude, let's, let's just throw UCLA in there, too, then. Sure. Okay. Because, so I was doing this statistical uh, look recently. Um, UCLA last won the Pac-12 conference or the Pac-10 conference in 1998. Eight other original Pac-10 teams have at least won a share of the conference title since then. Wow. The only one who has not is Arizona. So I think the hard part with UCLA is like if you're going to say Oregon, you want to say Cal because they have a new coach and like they're going to turn it around. Do you think it's a Jim Mora turnaround or it's like it's going to be some new coach that we don't even know who it is yet? So it's harder. I think it would be harder to predict that. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you were giving me odds on whether Jim Mora was still coaching UCLA in 2021, I'd be taking the field pretty hard. I mean, I just think one way or another he's going to uh, either move on or or. You know, or it'll go south pretty quick. But um, yeah, I think it would be some other situation. I mean, I think UCLA, in the long term, has you know probably second or third most upside in the conference. It's just they've been horribly managed for, I mean, almost two full decades now. Yeah, you want me to do a a voicemail? We have a um, well, actually, I have a, a Jim Mora kind of thing uh, on on one of the voice. Actually, both both both. both Excuse me, man. Both voicemails. We're rough today. We are rough doing this on a Tuesday. My voice, like my throat, like I did a an hour and something podcast just right before this too. But my throat's been killing me since I woke up this morning. I was like, oh, I got to do like three hours of podcast today. So you're getting sick. I'm recovering from illness. We sound like dog do right now. We apologize. Um, Well, I'll I'll play you this voicemail. We'll let someone else talk for a minute. Here you go. Hey guys, uh, I love your show. Your show is the first one I listen to every Monday morning. Well, I really can't say every because you guys aren't that uh, consistent. But anyway, um, I'm a UCLA Bruin fan, and uh, enough is enough. Jamora, you were great. You you really um, got us to uh, another level with many, many of the uh, culture changes you came and did, but enough is enough. Um, Dan Guerrero cannot pick the next coach. He's 
his track record is obviously uh, has shown us that he is not good at this. So I don't care who it is, get a committee, uh, shoot, let David and Ryan pick. I don't care. Just anyone other than Dan Guerrero, please. And um, that's about it, guys. Great show, and uh, hope to uh, talk to you guys a lot more. So, Dave, that was uh, he called back. It was, he forgot to leave his name. It's Alex in Beaumont, obviously a UCLA fan. Well, Alex, I think you make a lot of good points. I think um, I, I think for for picking the next coach, um, I tend to agree with you. I, I I like Dan Guerrero. I think he's a nice guy personally, um, and I think he's done a lot of good things at UCLA, including, I mean, look at what Cal's got going in terms of their uh, financial situation. UCLA. You know, they, they they handle their finances and they, they do all that kind of the inner guts of the athletic department. They do all that stuff pretty well. Um, hiring coaches has not been his strong suit. Um, if you look at, like, just historically, um, like, Rick Neuheisel and Carl Durrell were probably the two worst hires any AD at UCLA has made. Um, and then Jim Bora, after the first three years, has trended downward. Um, but the three hires made by Dan Guerrero, none of them have won the conference. Um, I, I, it's just, you know, it's it's hard to say that this is uh, this has been a successful string of, of hires. So, yeah, I think whoever makes the next hire, I mean, I, I think Guerrero is still going to be in place as the athletic director. But I think it would be prudent for him to take input from other uh, sources um, other people uh, not me I should not be asked who I want to hire as a football coach <laughs> but I think it would make sense to have other you know decision makers involved because I don't think it has been um, and I think that's a fair thing to say I don't think it's been Guerrero's strong suit as an AD um, as for Jim Mora I mean I think a lot of people are making that case right now you know there were airplane banners making that case before uh, the ASU game um, I think at five and five you know there's still a decent chance they finish six and six or five and seven. Um, I don't see him sweep in the last two games, but um, crazier things have certainly happened. Um, but that will be a third straight kind of, you know, not lackluster year. Cause I think 2015, there were some good things that happened, but a little bit underwhelming given the first three years, um, that 2015 year. And then the last two, uh, you know, last year was bad this year. You know, the record might look a little bit better by the end of the year. It's going to look a little bit better by the end of the year. But from a point differential standpoint, it's been pretty much as bad. Um, you know, they lost a lot of close games last year. This year, they've suffered a couple more blowouts. Um, so, you know, I think people are justified with that take, too. Um, and, you know, the people who still want to give them another year, I think they're, they've are they got some valid viewpoints as well. Um, but it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's another in a long string of seasons for UCLA fans from like about 1999 on, where it's just been kind of mediocre, kind of mediocre, and um, I can understand the frustration from a lot of Bruins. Alex, I'm going to disagree with my uh, colleague Dave. Um, I would love to make the decision. Um, <laughs> I, I'd be a consultant. Uh, first, I mean. You mentioned Rick Neuheisel. Bringing him back, I think, would be amazing. Like, yeah. oh god, oh god, don't, <laughs> don't even do that. You're going to make my heart murmur. Um, I yeah. would love to be. I, I think, we, Dave, if we started a consulting firm, see, the, the whole consulting firm thing, I just think is baffling to me. It's like it just seems like a waste of money. Like, if you're an athletic director, that's your job. Like, you're supposed to hire someone. Like, why are you getting a consulting firm or a 
a hiring firm. Like if you're like some company's like accountant and you're like, okay, well taxes are coming up, but we got to hire someone to like to do the books. You're like, well, you're the accountant. Like, isn't that your job? Like your job is the AD is to hire people. Why are you getting someone outside to like do your job for you? I I never get that. Yeah, it's. I think some of them use it as cover. Like they can say, oh, well, these candidates were supplied by the coaching firm or whatever. So ask them. But yeah, I I, I don't know. Sometimes it can help. It can identify guys who are like a little bit under the radar. I remember a few names that were like spouted as I think it was the uh, what was it? It was the 2007 coaching search after Durrell got fired at UCLA. And like some of the names that came out were like John Harbaugh before he was John Harbaugh, like when he was still like the special teams coach for whoever, like the Jets. Um, and it came up with that name. It came up with a couple other names that were like, huh, um, looking back on it, like, oh, that 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 coaching firm actually did a good job. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think ADs like it's such a, you know, it, it's not a day to day aspect of the job. So I think it gets deprioritized because, um, you know, if you're doing something every day like fundraising, it can be hard to like pivot suddenly to this other aspect of your job. But in terms of your legacy, in terms of the actual revenue generated from your main sports, I mean, it's the most important part of the job, um, hiring yeah. coaches and making sure they're, you know, the kind of people who are going to, you know, it, it's a, I mean, it's a really tough job. I mean, you've got to hire a guy because especially at a school like UCLA, um, where so much revenue can be generated from the football program. I mean, if you hire a loser, um, you're costing the school millions upon millions of dollars in ticket sales. Um, and so making that decision properly can be the biggest fundraiser for your athletic department. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's something they should be, um, and this should be at every school, but they should have constantly have a list, constantly have an idea of who's available, who's talking, and uh, know who they're who they who they target in a situation because anything can happen. A coach can get fired, or a coach can leave, or there can be a scandal, or so many different things that you you want to have your list ready at all times. It's you know I don't want to sound I mean well I'm going to sound this way whatever but I, when you look at some of the stuff that you see athletic directors do administrators I've never worked in administration you know I've I'm an engineer by trade um, you know I got a master's degree but it's in engineering and I do this now. But I just feel like there's some so many bad decisions made. Like, dude, I could totally do that job. Like, I, is that bad to say? Like, do you feel the same way? Like, man, this, how are these people doing this stuff? Like, it can't be that hard. Like, you could walk in there and do a better job. You feel than some of these people. Well, I feel like um, this. I feel is true of a lot of different things. But we have um, look, and I don't mean to toot our horns because, frankly, they do not need tooting. We're we're like. <laughs> We're, we're, we're a couple of morons, but one thing we do is we watch a lot of football, like a lot, a lot. Um, and we have a pretty good feel for like programs that are generally overachieving versus programs that are underachieving. I don't know how many athletic directors are out there watching a lot of college football. They've got other things to do. They've got a glad hand. They've got to do other stuff. I don't know how focused a lot of them are on just the day to day stuff of watching football teams compete what teams look motivated what teams look innovative what teams look really good um and so if you're taking a lot of secondhand advice or you're having to look at stats instead of actually watching a team i think it can be you know it can obfuscate the thing and they've got a lot of other responsibilities that 
we as morons who who cover football we don't have you know we're a a huge huge part of our job is just to watch the games um and i think it's a huge part of their job but i think they've got so many other aspects of their job that are also important like mingling with boosters and doing the whole financial raising finance raising song and dance that um i think they it gets kind of lost in the equation which is silly but um yeah i mean long story short Ryan and I are more equipped to hire a football coach than most athletic directors. And I think just having a feel for what's going on, maybe you just get isolated. Because, I mean, when Pat Hayden ended up hiring Steve Sarkeesian and it was like groans by USC fans, he was shocked. You know, like he just didn't even know like that they were not going to oh, be yeah. finally favorable. And it was like, how would you not know that? Like, it's just baffling to me that some of the decisions these guys make. Well, and the, the Steve Alford hire at um, UCLA um, in basketball is another one where Guerrero thought he hit a home run. You know, Steve Alford, he's a big name. He played in Indiana. He's, you know, this is a name. And fans almost universally opposed the hire, were universally disappointed in the hire initially. And that's no fault to Alford at that point, but it's it's like not knowing enough about the sport, not knowing enough about the inner workings of you know, which teams are actually good for the right reasons based off of these factors. Um, and that comes from watching a lot of it. I mean, and that's, that's, I mean, that's a lot of stuff to do on a Saturday for yeah. football or for Thursday through Sunday in basketball. Like you've got to watch a lot of games to have a pretty good idea of who's, who's actually good and who's not, you know, who, who might be a little bit of a mirage and who's actually got a system that's continuing to work over and over and over again from team to team and um i just don't know that a lot of ad's are putting in that work yeah i think that some of the guys are out of touch too and they just don't even realize like what they, they like they don't care what the the populace would think and not that you shouldn't make hires like that but you should at least know like hey this isn't going to be popular so here's how we have to spin it not to just be shocked that wait my decision wasn't just loved by everybody um all right let's move on clayton uh wrote in he said so it looks like the Pac-12 will be out of the playoff again. Apart from last year with Washington, it seems like the playoff is accustomed to being without representation from the Pac-12. Why does the Pac-12 have to do things different from the other conferences? Playing one more conference game seems to ensure the Pac-12 remains on the outside looking in. Uh, what do you think it will take for the university presidents to make some serious changes? Thanks, Clayton, USC class of 2001, and Santa Clarita. Uh, I mean, I think it's partly that. I think they also do. Um, I've come around to your viewpoint about the Friday away games, especially after a previous Saturday road game. They do a lot of stupid things in the schedule. Um, it's not just playing nine conference games. It's doing a lot of really dumb things in those nine conference games um, from a scheduling perspective. Um, so why do they do this? Uh I don't know. They feel beholden to the various TV contracts and feel like they have to. But, I mean, all of these teams playing Friday night road games, it's just I'm, you, you got to have a bye week the week before. Or um, the, the previous week's game has to be like a day Saturday game at home. But it has to be something so that they're getting some level of compensation for having to go on the road on a Friday night or a Thursday night, for God's sake. Um, so... Yeah, I, I think it's partly that. And then also, this year specifically, the Pac-12 just isn't that good. I mean, there isn't a really good team in this league. And that's not 
anybody's fault in the schedule. Washington wasn't really good, and if they hadn't had to play that Friday road game, maybe they would sneak into the playoff, but they would have gotten blown out by whoever they played in the first game. And I don't think they would have emerged from the Pac-12 anyway. I think USC, at this point in the year, is playing better than anyone in the North. So I, I just don't I, I don't think the Pac-12 was going to have a playoff team this year, no matter how you scheduled it. But the scheduling certainly didn't help. You know, I agree, and I think the you know we talked about uh, you know five of the Pac-12 teams don't have their bye week until November, and that doesn't happen in any other conference. No teams. So it's the conference not doing things to. Uh, you know, help the teams along. And, and I, I, I agree it's not a great year in the Pac-12, but I think there's other years and other conferences where there's flaws that at least aren't exposed by the conference themselves. You know, like th- upsets happen, things happen, but when you constantly put your teams in these tougher positions and it's really, it's you know, it's not good for the welfare of the student-athletes, it's, it, you know, it's just not good overall, you're not helping yourself. And... The Pac-12 already has kind of an uphill battle, and I think the conference, with the schedules and the way they handle things, with the television contract, all that, they just make it that much harder. So, yeah, I agree, Clayton. It's uh, I don't know what it's going to take, but it's got to be the presidents. I think the athletic directors, from what we've hear, what we hear is, you know, there's frustration there. Um, we've seen one president at Washington State uh, speak out against this because you know end up you know Bill Moose end up leaving for. Their athletic director ended up leaving for Nebraska uh, with the revenue. So I think the more it starts hurting the bottom line and you get another year or two without a, a, a you know, this year has just been a, I mean, crazy as far as just stupid Pac-12 decisions, all of them rearing their heads, like all of them. And you're getting exposure. Uh, people are talking about it more. Um, so maybe you're getting closer, but I, I just don't see it. I mean, they extended Larry Scott recently. Uh, but it's going to take the presidents to really step up and do something. I'm just not sure if we're there yet or close to it. Yeah, I agree. All right, should I do a next rundown? Oh, sure. All right. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus. UW 22 versus Stanford 30. Well, Stanford throws monkey in the wrench to see who wins the Pac-12 North. I don't, I don't think that's the phrase. Throws monkey in the wrench. That'd uh, be some like really crazy physics going on there. <laughs> Uh, UW is average versus good teams. Uh, SC 38 versus Colorado 24. And new Pac-12 South champs of the world, LOL. SC won, not a pretty game, but the refs playing the villain role again. Colorado is average, probably not making a bowl. Washington State 33 versus Utah 25. Washington State keeps on winning and may represent the Pac-12 North in Santa Clara. Utah is average. ASU 37 versus UCLA 44. Rosenbach solves all of UCLA's woes. And the losing streak, a 500 team now hoping they can beat Cal to go bowling. ASU is up and down in Katy Perry verse voice. So up and down. I, I can't do Katy Perry in the <laughs> best of times and certainly not right now. Uh, well, ASU girls are hot like Katy Perry. LOL. Garbage. Uh, he puts in parentheses OSU. So I think They're still I think garbage. he might think garbage is part of their proper name at this point. Um, 28 versus U of A, 49. Jeez, is K-Tate not the most talented player in the Pac-12? 1,000 rushing yards, 1,000 passing. Kid is a freak. Garbage will go 1-11 and 0-9 in conference. Questions. One, does the Pac-12 send anyone to New York for the Heisman Trophy? Does K-Tate get the invite? I say yes. I think it'll be love. But mm. we'll see. Uh, I think he missed too many games. Yeah, potentially. I mean, Tate missed a bunch of games, too. 
Yeah, but Tate's been spectacular. Yeah, yeah, and he'll be he'll be spectacular for the final like eight games of the year, or nine games of the year, or whatever it is. It might help because it you know it depends on like they look at the votes. Um, I, I'm a voter, but they look at the votes and like who gets points. And if it's like a Baker Mayfield runaway, do they only bring a couple more, or do they might bring like three or four more? It's, it depends how the the this you know dispersion of the votes kind of. Uh, lands there so if there's like a big gap between like five and six they would take five you know um even if like there's one that's like a runaway but yeah i, I think both those guys have a chance to get there yeah i'd put it as tate just because i think he's getting a little bit more hype right now yeah but yeah it could go either way um two can usc make the playoffs with UW putting up an egg on friday i mean they can it's it's I mean, it's not mathematically impossible. I think it's very unlikely. And I, I'm telling USC fans, like, this isn't really the year you want to make the playoff anyway. It's like they're not playing. Like, you want to go get beat by Alabama? Like, or would you rather go to the Fiesta Bowl and, like, have a chance to beat, like, a, or I mean, uh, Oklahoma State or something? Like, I, I think you'd rather do that, like, to me. But there's still a chance, but I, I don't even know why you'd focus on that. Like, a lot of crazy stuff would have to happen. Yeah, there's a mathematical chance, but I don't see it at all. Um, there's like, I was doing the math on a lot of it, and Miami beating Notre Dame kind of weirdly kind of screwed USC, which is weird because you'd think Notre Dame being up there, but because now Miami's, it basically guarantees an ACC team's going to be in there, either Clemson or Miami. Yeah. You're definitely going to get at least one SEC team in there. Um, Wisconsin winning against, I think it was Iowa makes it so that it's going to be Wisconsin or it's going to be that team that beats Wisconsin with two losses um, because they're going to have a high-level win then at that point. It's probably going to be Ohio State. Um, So it's just there's not enough spots left. And Oklahoma doesn't have, you know, the only other potential loss on the schedule for them is maybe a rematch with TCU in a couple of weeks for the stupid Big 12 title game. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I was doing it all, and it was very hard to – puzzle out a way for a Pac-12 team to make it in there yeah it didn't seem likely and even like last year I was talking I did a recruiting podcast earlier with Gerard Martinez before this and he had pointed out like last year USC could have made the the Pac-12 title game but it was actually better that they didn't they were all beat up they would if they would have played like Washington on six you know you know a week later it probably wouldn't ended well the way it ended like let Colorado go USC goes to the Rose Bowl they get a crazy win over Penn State it just kind of worked out better you don't always need to get the the most the, the ultimate thing and you want to strive for that obviously and make the playoff but in a year like this where it's just like I don't think they're playing at that kind of a level where they would be competing for the title probably better to just get a Fiesta Bowl and, and try to get a win there it's more of a winnable game yeah and then number three what's your favorite football movie ever ooh um I mean Friday Night Lights is pretty good like. Well, that was a, well. That was like a um, series, right? That yeah, was, but it was also a movie. Yeah, they did a movie. Okay. Uh, Remember the Titans was good. I'm gonna go remember the Titans. That's probably yeah. my fave. Yeah, the Varsity Blues was silly and stupid and fun. It was good. Uh, the Longest Yard, the original one with like Burt Reynolds, like yeah, that, that was pretty good. Um, Any given Sunday's good. Yeah. Yeah, there's some good stuff. I'm, I'm going to go remember the Titans. Okay, I, I can stick with that. You want me to play this other voicemail? Sure. All right, here we go. Hello, Ryan and Dave. This is Danny from L.A. again. Keep up the good work. Love the podcast. 
Dave, I still follow you on Twitter, despite all of your USC trolling, but love following you. I have two questions. One is more personal, so I hope that's okay. First, for the personal one, I'm wondering why y'all haven't gotten sponsors for the podcast. I think it's really legit. I think it's a good balance of humor, facts, and other shenanigans. So just wondering why that's the case. Is it because it's a conflict of interest with the Parastyle and Bro? Or have you also thought about maybe making a donation page? I would totally chip in so Dave can replace all his broken headphones and his audio mixer. Secondly, my question is about the state of the UCLA football program. On Twitter, I saw the Guerrero Mora banner flying around the Rose Bowl this weekend. And I also heard about a recent player quitting the team and an assistant coach responding negatively to him via text, and that went viral. And I just want to know, is the culture of the program really this bad right now? Do the negative emotions towards the team seem to be a majority of the fan base and alums or a, min- a minority? Dave, I know you've been negative towards the program. Nothing like the crap Scott Wolf tweets out about USC, but do you think real change is about to happen soon? Thank you for answering my questions. Fight on. Good stuff from Danny. Um, so I'll address the second part first, and then maybe you can talk about the advertising stuff. Okay. Um, so uh, the culture, I don't – so the first three years, I think Mora did a great job of turning around the culture in a big way, um, especially the first two years. Um, like the, the toughness, the competitive mindset in the program was great and all that jazz. Um, I think as – and this happens at any school – um, as they've started to struggle the last couple of years, there have just been more issues. Um, I think when you're winning, it masks a lot of problems, and when you're losing, those things get magnified. Um, so what he was referring to was Breland Brandt, um, a player who suffered, I think, three concussions in a couple of years, which, you know, that, that happens in football. Um, he's making the probably very smart decision for his future um, to quit football. Um, and he shared on Twitter... Uh, text message conversation with a UCLA staff member where Breland had texted him something I think late at night or very early in the morning like 3 in the morning and the guy got back to him at like 11.30 or something and said well it's so funny that you text me at 3am expecting a response when you quit the team um, and then answered his questions and it was you know that's kind of a snarky kind of crappy response to a kid who you know suffered a bunch of concussions and that whole deal is it a huge deal? Probably not. You know, people people say stupid things in their jobs all the time, um, but it gets it gets magnified because UCLA is not doing well. Um, has there been more of that stuff? I don't even know. I mean, I think UCLA actually had significantly more offseason troubles in the offseason between 2013 and 2014, um, where P Diddy swung a kettlebell at some people. Um, so. Like there have been there have been problems off the field for UCLA, um, you know, uh, definitely a few times throughout the Mora era. So I don't know how much of that. I think it's simply it comes down to the winning on the field. They haven't been good um, for two years now, and in 2015 they, you know, they they could have been better than they were. They finished eight and five, but it was a disappointing year um, where it felt like, especially offensive coaching, really limited them. And then 2016, they couldn't field an offense. Um, they hired a, a bad offensive coordinator who couldn't run the ball at all. And then this year, their defense can't stop the run. Um, and these are, I, I mean, I pin it a lot on coaching. I think it's a lot of coaching failures. I think it's a lot of scheme failures. Um, so from my perspective, yeah, I think there's some justified 
frustration from the fan base with a lot of this stuff. Um, now, whether that may, I, whether there's going to be change immediately, I don't, I don't know. Um, I think at five and five, I think if they make a bowl game, I think it'd be hard for UCLA. Knowing what I know about UCLA's administration um, over the last 16 years, um, I think it'd be hard for them to make a decision to, to fire Mora, especially given his buyout. I think that would be, um, you know, because I think his buyout's at like 12 or $13 million. Um, and I think that'd be a tough pill to swallow for UCLA's administration and for uh, the booster class. So um, I think that bowl game is what would, would pretty much seal the deal on his return, at least from a not being fired perspective who knows if he would make a decision to go somewhere else or um do something else but um i i think it becomes then a question of whether or not they get to a bowl game if they get swept the next two games and it's embarrassing and ugly then we'll see um but if they get to a bowl game it's hard to envision um ucla proactively making a change I agree with all that. And uh, just on the sponsorship stuff um i'll kind of address that quickly and dave if you have any other comments um, so the networks we've been a part of, uh, they don't really have like a hosting thing. Like if you're like with ESPN or something, your podcasts are kind of with them. For us, it's always been like a separate deal. Like we'll put the podcast up on the websites that we, that we run and cover, you know, the teams that we cover talk about those, but, um, they're not really part of like, a, it's not like a two, four, seven podcast. We kind of have to host them on our own. You go outside and, you know, a lot of times it's a way, it's another avenue to get, you know, it's a good way to get content up. It's a good way for users to ask questions. And, you know, it's a good way for us to kind of grow our sites and advertise our sites where people maybe find the podcast and then they're like, oh, I want to go to bro or I want to go to uscfootball.com and, you know, read what these guys that are, I've, I've been listening to are saying. And, you know, Dave and I came up with this idea a few years ago, just like, hey, it'd be cool to do a Pac-12 one, and we could kind of tap into the, the network, the scout network at the time around us, and then, of course, you know, the 247 network now. Um, but there's there's no conflict of interest or anything. It's really just about getting your, your numbers up, and, and luckily for us, the, the numbers have been up, and uh, you can get sponsorships where you just go out and sell them yourselves, which not really my strong point. I've done it okay. Uh, I don't... I'm. I don't know, Dave, if you feel like that's something you've done really well either, but no, no. And I have like, I mean, neither of us has the time to go around trying it, to sell sponsorships either. It's hard. And so like, I've been with a company called audio boom to host the podcast and they've been great for our USC ones, um, that, you know, they sell a lot of ads. And so we can, you know, actually besides like using it as a tool to kind of, you know, talk more about the teams you cover and get people to go to your site it's you know you can actually because you spend a lot of time on it you can actually make some money so it's nice and uh they've actually talked to us about doing that here on the show probably not till next year i would guess but it's probably good for all of you because if we are getting sponsors we will have to do it more make sure we do it more regularly and if you know <laughs> there's actually some financial incentive that we should act you know instead of just doing it for free like uh it's kind of nice and we're not going to do a donation page or anything but you know, if you can retweet it and tell people about it and get more people to, you know, if, you know, tell your friends that are Pac-12 fans of any of the teams, let them know, hey, this is a pretty good podcast. Uh, that's always a, a great way to help. Yeah, for sure. I agree with all of that. All right. Um, should I read Casey's? Sure, if you want, or I can't, whatever you want. I'll do it, and we'll see if I still have a voice at the end of this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, is anyone in the Pac-12 good? Hi, guys. And sure, I'll answer that one right now. No. No. Um, Hi, guys. KC from SLC here, Salt Lake City. 
I've been wanting to email my opinions for two week, for a few weeks now, but I don't think mine could be nearly as good as others. Your podcast is great. I listen at work. The two hours are perfect, and I wouldn't mind if they went longer than that. You're probably going to get your wish today. Uh, <laughs> the curse of the number one ranking is back as Washington fell to Stanford. The Pac-12 has now played itself out of the playoff. What can be done to prevent this, if anything, in the future? Um, number one, have better teams. And number two, don't schedule as stupidly as they do. Yeah, agree. I think we... We we hit that one pretty hard. Um, are all the, are all the teams decently good, top to bottom, or are they all equally bad? I would go more equally bad than equally good this year. I think there have been years where they've been equally pretty good, um, but I don't think this year was one of them. Yeah, I think um, it's there. There's good spots. I mean, there's there's positive aspects to to, to a lot of the different teams, but the consistency just has not been there. And and you want to see. You know, a, a Colorado offense be as good as it was, or what? I mean, there's different aspects of each team that, like, they look really good one week and not really the next. You, the potential's there, but they're just not. To me, it's just not consistent enough that you could say they're all, you know, a lot of good teams. Yeah, exactly. And then he asks um, about Larry Scott, which we already kind of answered, saying we don't really see him being fired anytime soon. Okay. I mean, do you think he is? No, no, I don't think so. Like it. The fact it's nice that the Washington State president came out and said something, and you're that might start. You know, it's like the if an old abandoned, uh, you know, warehouse or whatever with all these windows, and the, that's fine until someone throws a rock through one of them, and then they all start, you know, crashing in. Like people start vandalizing the place. Maybe now that one president has spoken out, um, it'll start happening. But I, I'm gonna have to believe it, you know, to see it to believe it. Yeah, exactly. And he says, don't even get me started about the refs. Larry Scott needs to fix that problem as we are the laughing stock of the NCAA. You have no disputes here. All right. Um, and then he asks his questions. Uh, as a Ute fan, I would love your opinion on a few questions. The local radio boys, Hackett and Gunther, are too biased to get proper answers. A lot of you fans are, uh, Ute fans um, are calling for Whittingham's job. Has he hit his ceiling in Utah? I haven't jumped on the firing bandwagon yet. Without his defense, Utah would be absolute garbage, but maybe an offensive-minded head coach can make things better. You know, I'm of two minds on this one. Um, I, I think he has hit a ceiling of sorts at Utah. Like, I think they're, they're going to be what they've been, which is a consistently good Pac-12 team. I think this year has been a little subpar, but they had an injury to their starting quarterback. They've had some – I mean, Kylie Fitz has been – out with um, an injury, and he was a big part of that defensive line. So I think there's some mitigating factors. Um, this was kind of a expected to be a little bit of a lull season for Utah, and I think it has been. Um, but I think he's a consistent like eight and four, nine and three coach in this league. I think that's where he can be. But the limitations on offense that have been there basically since Utah has been in the Pac-12 don't seem to be going away. And Tyler Huntley. I think in like a, if he was playing for Chip Kelly in Oregon, right, or if he was playing for Rich Rodriguez right now, um, I think he'd be looking a lot more dynamic than he's looking in this Utah offense. And Whittingham has had offensive coordinator after offensive coordinator after offensive coordinator. Troy Taylor was supposed to be the answer to a lot of these questions, and he really hasn't been. So I just don't know. I, I don't think... Look, I think it's a, a philosophical question because I don't think anybody's firing Kyle Whittingham, but I think maybe he's not the guy to get Utah in the Pac-12 at least to you know like a one-loss season and a potential national championship. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think there's been some sparks with Troy Taylor, but when you have a whole bunch of offensive coordinators fail, that maybe there's something from the top that's, you know, limited. Sometimes defensive coaches like to, you know, put limitations on what the offenses can do. I mean, there's all kinds of weird reasons there, but, you know, this season's hard because you're talking about starting off 4-0, and and one of those is a win at Arizona, which is, is great, but it was still, that was a Khalil Tateless Arizona team. Like, what if they played Arizona later on? What would the result be? And after the bye, uh, you know, only winning one game and losing five, like, that's that's pretty bad, you know? So I could, the taste in Utah fans' mouths can't be that good. The, the you know, the lone win being, uh, you know, beating the crap out of UCLA on a Friday night. Um but I don't see them making a change either, Dave. I, I agree with you there. He needed to get through. There was a couple these last couple of years. I think there was chances for him to advance, especially last year. You know, when Colorado wins it all out of nowhere. If Colorado can do that, you know, Utah team that's been much more consistent and much, you know having winning records should have been able to do that too. So this is a pretty disappointing season, I would say uh, overall. And it's not all that you know Huntley, who wasn't even your starter coming into the season. Or what you know wasn't supposed to be him being out. I, I just don't think it should have made that big of a difference. Yeah, I, I, I see all that. I think they've underachieved relative to their talent. Um, I just don't know how badly they've underachieved. Like I think if they were six and four right now, I think that'd be like you know maybe not exactly what you would have expected, but about there. Um, so I, I, it would just be so hard to fire him because he has had so much success there. Um, so, yeah, it's a tricky one, um, but I, I completely see uh, the, the point where people are very frustrated. Yeah. Um, then he says, Utah has got to be one of the most frustrating teams to watch. They literally gift-wrapped the football and gave it to Washington State. I feel like the lack of proper execution has plagued this season for them. Experience will surely help them, but is there anything the coaches can do? <sighs> I think they just gotta, they, they've got to be a little bit more free and easy on offense. Yes. Like, I think they've got to be more up-tempo. Um, I think with a defensive-minded coach, you'll run into this a lot where they want the offense to be kind of a ball control ground and pound because they want to take pressure off their defense. Um, and I think Whittingham is prone to that. I think Jim Moore at UCLA is prone to that a little bit. Um, but you'll see it a lot with defensive-minded coaches. I think they need to lean on that offense a little bit more. And it's a shame they didn't this year because with Darren Carrington... And I think Tyler Huntley is going to be really good. I think with those guys, they could have run a little bit more up-tempo. And I think those running backs would look a lot better if they were running up-tempo. Um, but it's just, they haven't done that. And I don't know if Whittingham is is equipped to do that sort of thing. Yeah, I agree there. And then, who is Utah's best player? Many would say Huntley, but he hasn't shown the clutch gene quite like I expected. There's also Carrington, but he can't get the ball unless it is thrown to him. In all honesty, my vote would go to punter Mitch Wisnowski. Am I crazy for thinking this? This guy's made some great plays for them this year, and he gets himself in on a good amount of tackles on kickoffs. Honorable mention, Matt Gay. Where do you stand on this? I think I would still go with Huntley. You know, I, know, I know he threw three picks, but he is a dynamic player, and I think he can be a difference maker. And, you know, yeah, it, it's, it was a setback not having him in there. Um, but I, I picked him this week, right, to cover the spread, so... I think he's going to yeah. make a bounce back. We'll see. I'll pick I think him. Carrington's the most talented player on the team. And, yeah. yeah, he can't control whether the ball gets thrown to him or not. But um, he's my pick for the most talented, best player. Um, Mitch Wisnowski is probably, like, 
the obvious MVP of the team, so I, I'm completely <laughs> in support of that pick as well. Um, but I like Carrington. I think he's going to be a, a big-time pro as well. All right. All right, and then he says, thanks for taking the time. You guys are awesome. I'm perfectly okay with you trashing my opinion if it is wrong. P.S. The best parts of the podcast come when someone asks for garbage rankings. I would definitely encourage listeners to send more. Thanks, Casey. Yeah, thanks, Casey. Um, looks like we got another one from Scott. Uh, so he said, hey, Ryan and Dave. Hard to believe we're less than two weeks away from the regular season already. Wait, uh, we wait all year for it, and then it just flies by. The end, I'm sorry, the end. did I say end of regular season or just the regular season? It's the end of the end. regular season. Yeah. Just to, just to be clear. <laughs> Um, yes, we're both, uh, voices are, are failing us. Okay. A couple of questions. <laughs> we, <laughs> we all realize the conference is way lim- down this year. limping, limping to the finish here. <laughs> uh, I would be interested in each of your, and I got to go to practice right after this too. So, um, oh, I would be interested. I know well, you're going to go take care of kids. I would be interested in each of your taking, uh, each of you taking who you think over the overall best team in the Pac-12 is most complete, and if you could put them in the other Power Four conferences, what place would they slot in? My rankings would be ACC third, SEC fourth, Big Ten second, or third, and not sure about the Big 12. None of them play defense, but everyone can score. I guess second behind the Sooners, but you could make a case for first, and even third behind TCU or fourth behind Oklahoma State. Um, So I guess... Okay, so USC, right? I would pick, yeah, I'd probably put USC... They're just our number one team this week, so let's just go with them. Okay. Um, all right, so in the other Power 5 conferences, so the ACC, who are the best teams in that league? So Clemson and Miami. So I think third where Scott said, that's probably right. Yeah, they're probably better than NC State and Georgia Tech. and Yeah, okay, that seems fine. SEC right, said fourth. Oh, Big 12, okay. Um, Sorry, I'm just going in order of the alphabet. No, that's fine. Uh, so Oklahoma... I, maybe second. I could, see them, I could actually see them winning the Big 12. I'm not too confident in any of those Big 12 teams. So first or second there. Okay. Um, big the, 10? The Big the Big 10. It's kind of a mess, but like Ohio State. I think Ohio State's clearly better, even though they're 8-2. and two. Yeah. Um, what do you think about Penn State? I think USC's better than the other teams in the Big 10. I'd put them a strong second behind okay. Ohio State. They did be. Penn State last year, I guess, so or earlier this year. Um, okay, and then the SEC. He said fourth, which I don't. I don't. I don't think the SEC is that good. Um, probably behind Alabama and Georgia, but I don't know if I'd put them behind Auburn. I mean, Auburn just beat the hell out of Georgia. Yeah, that's true. I could see him being fourth there, third or fourth for me. Okay. Um, that's are fair. there any group of five teams they'd be behind? UCF know. might kick the hell out of them. UCF looks good. Yeah, we, I just haven't really seen them. Yeah. You know, it'd, it'd be hard to do that, but. Yeah, okay. So there's one other league where we think the Pac-12, potential Pac-12 winner could win, which is the Big 12. Yeah. Second question. You could each be Pac-12 commish for a day and have the magic wand capable of implementing one thing. Would you either, A, go back and rework the TV deals, money stays the same, along with Dish slash DirecTV, Knowing back then how it worked out so far, or B, take Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and by default, Texas, who comes along, and one other team from the Big 12 to create the first and inevitable Power Four uh, 16 Super Conference again, knowing back then what the perception and narrative of the Pac 12 is today and what it has been over the past 
15 years. Thanks again for doing these podcasts. Look forward to them every Monday. Sorry, it's Tuesday this week. Go dogs, Scott in Washington. Uh, B. B, because I think you get A if you do B. Yeah. Yeah. With A, you don't necessarily get B, but with B, you definitely get A. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be fun to have like a Texas or Oklahoma road trip every, you know, few years. Yes. I think that would be, that would have been great. That would be a, a game changer. Yeah. All right. This is from Otis. Hi, Ryan and David. After hearing you guys try to describe how bad certain gameplay is, I've come up with the perfect next level insult. After garbage, it's Benny Hill. Not to insult Benny, but the music fits perfectly. So it's garbage, fire dumpster, then blooper reel on Benny Hill. (laughs) Okay, I like it. Question is, with the Pac-12 bad record of Friday night games, does the championship game on December 1st on Friday still count for away teams? So so this was my kind of thought going into it and why I think USC will be the favorite is, yes, it sucked that USC didn't get a bye week all year if you're USC, but... Now you get one, right? Uh, so you're and gonna, it's a short week for whoever they play. It's a short week for whoever they play. They have to travel for sure. Uh, well, Stanford, Stanford, maybe not. Yeah. Stanford would not have to. Yeah, They're, that's that's local for them. But it's still a short week after what will be, you know, a tough game. Um, so USC pretty much is going to take next week off and try to rest and, and recuperate. Wow, that's a great high level point. So it's uh, okay. It's. I think it's a big advantage. I think it is an advantage. I mean, these are and and Wilner pointed out the the teams. If you played a conference game on Saturday, and then went on the road on Friday, those teams are zero and four. Three of those teams were favorites. So it's not like uh, some you know, Oregon State had to go on a Friday. No, this was like you know Washington losing, USC losing. I mean, you're talking about the power teams in the conference. Washington State um, losing games that they on paper Vegas thought they would win. And did not. So I, I think it's real. I think it's a disadvantage um, to have to do that. And, you know, less so of Stanford if they do it because it's a local game for them. Well, in that case, doesn't it mean that the Pac-12 has set things up favorably for USC to win the conference? If Yeah, I mean, I think if you get through the whole season without a bye, <laughs> you get one at the end. Um, you do get one, you know. It's, it's a they've, legit bye. So you're, you're you're agreeing with me then that they've set up things favorably for yes, USC. They they to re- win the Pac-12. Larry Scott Conference. said, "You know what? We want the pa- USC to win the Pac-12. This is what we're going to do. We'll give them a bye before the Pac-12 <laughs> championship." <laughs> That's pretty much uh, strategy. It's high level, high level checkers. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for that, Otis. This is Zach. He said, "Hey Ryan and Dave, as we turn our attention towards the crosstown rivalry, I can't." but think that UCLA fans are in a precarious position, which leaves us with a few questions. One, if UCLA wins this weekend, does Mora keep his job? I think you addressed that. It's going to be hard for him to lose his job because of the buyout, but any other? Yeah, no question. If, okay. he, if he wins this weekend, he absolutely keeps his job. Okay. But even if he loses, it's going to be like, it's no guarantee. If if they lose out, like if, if this week is like a, like not 50 to nothing, but if it's like a, you know, a four touchdown blowout and then they lose to Cal as well. I think there's going to be a lot of popular groundswell for him to get fired. But barring that, I have a hard time seeing it. Okay. And then uh, assuming the answer to the previous question is yes, what should UCLA fans root for? (laughs) I think you need to win, right? Well, back in my pure fandom days, (laughs) rather than these 
<coughs> objective journalist years that I currently live in now, um, I often rooted for UCLA teams to lose. Um, it's it's weird being a fan of a particular team. Um, and so I would often root for teams to lose so that um, coaches would be changed. Now, I can't tell you what to do right now. I think you got to root whichever way you want to. It's not going to matter to anyone but yourself. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think if you want a coaching change, yeah, you – I mean, look, if you want to get excited about the rivalry, go ahead. But I think if you're the type who gets more excited about the rivalry than focusing on your own team, you're probably the type that roots for UCLA regardless anyway. But if you're the type who's always thinking, you know, three years ahead of time, yeah, go ahead and you root for USC this week. That's fine. Um, everyone's a fan in their own different way, and uh, I think you can justify it whichever way you'd like to. All right. And then he said, uh, there's no question Mora has improved the overall culture at UCLA, but how much equity should uh, that have bought him with the administration and fan base? And wouldn't you say he has ex- uh, exp- expended all of his equity at this point? And lastly, does USC, but he spelled it wrong, he put, uh, uh, it's really weird, it must be a big typo, it's a dollar sign, U, and then C. Is his um, S broken, you think? I, maybe the S key wasn't working. Uh, no, but, but he's got Rush right there, and that's got an S in it. True, yeah. That's weird. <laughs> lastly, does USC rush for over or under 375 yards? Okay, so how much equity does Mora have? Um I don't know that he has much with the fan base at this point. Um, I think at most people are generally on the fence, and there's more than a few who are well over the fence into wanting him gone. So with the fan base, not much. With the administration, I think more. Um, And I think it's partly the culture stuff, but also the fact that he was a big part of getting the football facility funded um, with what he was able to do those first three years. So some, but... It's, I mean, it's it's not a lot at this point, um, but I think it's more a matter of the dollars and cents of the buyout and, you know, UCLA not necessarily having the most uh, success on the field-minded um, administration. All right. Um, do you want me to read the next one? or Wait, does USC rush for over oh, or under sorry. 75 yards? My bad. You pick. No, I'm going to say they do not. I think they'll get a little over 300 and UCLA will keep its like 300 average. Uh, is it still above 300 or is it just below it now? It's still above. Yeah. I think they'll get about 300 and keep. Yeah, I think so too. And that's the only way we're going to win that, that over that, um, that spread anyway. Yeah. If, if USC they rushes for 375 plus, we're going to be in real trouble. Yeah. We're, we're, we're not covering that. Yeah. All right. Worst loss. Uh, this is from John and Brea. Hi, Ryan and Dave. With only a few games left in the season for most Pac-12 teams, seeing that the conference has been eliminated from playoff talk, and with the conference cast aside as irrelevant by the big networks, would you mind taking a look back at this season for a moment? Which of the following losses do you think is the most inexcusable and damaging to the team involved and the conference? USC getting blown out by Notre Dame, Washington State getting blown out by Cal, Stanford losing to San Diego State, Washington losing to Arizona State. Thank you for this amazing podcast. It's good. Um, man, I mean, they're all bad. Uh, the out-of-conference ones probably 
maybe you could say those are worse. Like losing the SDS, like Notre Dame was at least a top 10 team or whatever, but San Diego State is not, you know, and then Stanford, you knew was still going to look good. I might do the San Diego State one. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? Well, San Diego State would have, I mean, Stanford lost two other games besides that, so it's less important to me. I'm thinking of it more in terms of what eliminated a team from the playoff. And USC's lost to Notre Dame did. Yes. Washington State's lost to Cal did because it was their first of two losses. And Washington's lost to Arizona State did because it was their first of two losses. Um, Stanford had two other losses, so they were going to be eliminated no matter what. Um, but Dan, uh, I guess to the team involved. So, yeah, so to the specific team for sure, but to the conference overall, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. Well, because I, I think it's USC's loss to Notre Dame. But the thing is, when you get blown out by that, I mean, was there ever a situation where they were going to win that game? Probably not. Um, but I think in terms of the loss, I think that's probably the worst one because USC, a one-loss USC team right now would have the best chance at a playoff spot Yeah. compared to Washington State or Washington if they were at one loss. I think because Washington and Washington State still have to play each other, whereas USC has to just beat UCLA to get to the – or they don't even have to, but they just have to beat UCLA before the title game, and then they get to play against the North team where they'll most likely be favored by, you know, three to seven points. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I think until no, Notre Dame, that because there was a, a, another playoff caliber team too, and the, the best team in the conference gets blown out by them, it kind of eliminates the conference, so... I think that's probably yeah. fair. Yeah. All right. Um, we got one last one. This is Rusty. He said, I hope uh, this is the best way to ask you questions. Would love your insight. Coog fan here. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. This is a great way to, to do it, uh, Rusty, but you can leave a voicemail too. You could tweet us. Uh, the Cougs are an Apple Cup victory away from their first Pac-12 North title and a chance at being Pac-12 champs. It's great to see us being competitive again, and it feels like Leach is really turning a corner with the program. Unfortunately, ever since Peterson took over, the Apple Cup hasn't been competitive. However, this year feels like our best chance of getting a win against the puppies in a while. I think he's talking about the Huskies. Is the, that, do you think that's the, what he means? Yeah, I think the Washington football program. Oh, okay. He's referring to them as the puppies. As puppies. Okay. Reason. My questions are, so he has three questions. First, uh, do you think the Cougs and Leach will beat the Fuskies? So this is a, I think it's the same team, just described in a different way. If we do win, I think it will be because of our defense. If the Cougs do win the Apple Cup, uh, do you think they have a chance to beat USC again? They seem to be trending up uh, upward at the right time again, unfortunately. I don't know why hmm. it would be unfortunately. And there's two questions in his number one, so. I think they do right now, based off what they did to Utah and Tyler Huntley. I think they can harass Jake Browning in a similar way. Um, and I think their defense matches up pretty well against that Washington offense. Um, offensively, they might have some issues scoring against Washington. They for sure will. Um, but I think they'll do enough. It'll be a low-scoring game, but I think Washington State would win at this point. I agree there. I think uh, that the, that front, you know, Mataafa and, and the rest of the guys will like harass uh, Jake Browning. I think they'll limit the run enough, and I, I, I do think I would pick Washington State at this point. Um, do you think they have a chance to beat USC again? Certainly they have a chance. They've already beat them this year, but it'll be different. It's not going to be the Friday night thing on the road. 
Um, yeah, I know it'll be it'll be a Friday night on the road. But but not uh, <laughs> yeah, not in the middle of a five game home stretch for Washington State. Right. So, <laughs> so I think uh, I think USC would be favored in that one. Yeah. But yeah, okay. So two, he says. Mike Leach is known for his air raid offense, but the Coug defense has been carrying the team all year. Without them, I don't think we would be a 500 team. With no defense, you would be a zero team. You need a defense. Um, our offense is <laughs> right. Like, there, uh, yeah. They, I mean, they would they would lose every game by like a million points. Yeah, they, they didn't have any defense. Zero defense. Uh, our offense has played good, great in spurts, but seems off overall. That's a lot what Dave was saying earlier. Uh, they don't have the same swagger as the defense, and the stats show Falka's uh, having a down year by his usual standards. What do you think the problem is this year? Is it Falk making poor decisions and holding the ball too long, youth at receiver, positions of drops, play calling, lack of balance, air raid being too predictable, and defensive coordinators figuring it out? Mm. There's a lot of questions there. Yeah. um, I I mean, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's Falk pressing a little bit because the NFL is right around the corner and he's open to be a high draft pick. Um, I think he doesn't trust his receivers as much as he has in the past. And so that's led to some stuff where he's patting the ball instead of making the quick throws that he's done in the past. Um, And I think he's not taking as many shots. Um, It's not a deep-throwing offense by any means, but um, I just don't think he's making as many challenging throws. I think he's dumping off a lot more for very short gains, if not losses. Um, And that's affecting a lot of the offensive flow. You know, this is, I mean, it's, it's a weird thing to say about a pass-first offense, but Nair Raid is like a its like a ball-control offense. I mean, so many of these passes are like runs. They're trying to get, you know, they're trying to nickel and dime you down the field and hopefully, you know, catch a few big plays as they go. Um, but if the guy who's, you know, leading the offense, instead of taking the six-yard pass or the seven-yard pass, is consistently taking the two-yard pass, um, it makes the offense sputter a little bit more than I think Mike Leach would like. And I think that's part of the frustration Leach has had with Falk this year. He's pulled him twice from games for performance reasons and put in Tyler Holinsky, which is a crazy thing to say about a guy who's a four-year starter in the league. Um, But I I pin most of it on Falk, and some of it's just, you know, he doesn't have confidence with his receiving core and the whole deal, but um, he just hasn't looked right. And I think Leach's system has proven over, whatever, 15 years in college football that it works. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think the air raid has become too predictable or too easy to stop. I think it's more that Falk has um, not regressed, but I think he's um, maybe got a little too much going on in his head going into these games. Yeah, they seem to folk, like put a lot of the, the emphasis on him where the running game, they got good running backs, and, and they kind of get away from it. For I think it's a combination of things. But, you know, sometimes when the defense is playing better, you call the offense differently too. But um, it's a, you know, obviously – uh, Scott, or Rusty, your Cougs are a really good team. So uh, we'll see. What well, it could be the first Apple Cup win in a while. Uh, third, he said, "What will it take for the Pac-12 to finally win a Natty, and which t- team do you think will do it?" Go Cougs well, from Rusty. What it will take is Jake Browning graduating at Washington. Oh, wow. super troll! Ooh, ooh, icy burn after I already said that Washington State's going to win that game. Icy burn. Um, I mean, it's going to take a, a really good team. I mean, 
there hasn't been one in the Pac-12 in at least two years, depending on how you feel about 2015 Stanford. I mean, I think last year Washington's team, last year's Washington team was just kind of fundamentally flawed in that. And I, I don't mean to keep hammering Jake Browning. I think he's fine, but like yes, you do. He he's not equipped to go against an SEC speed defense. He's just not. Um, and I think they need to upgrade their quarterback position. Um, but I think if Washington does that, they've got the defensive system in place. I think Chris Peterson has an eye for receiver talent, for running back talent. I think he's got a good eye for it. But they need the quarterback in place. Um, and I think Jake Browning's fine for winning a bunch of regular season games against Pac-12 teams. I don't think he's the type to win a natty. So for Washington's purposes, I think they need a new quarterback. But, I mean, the, the longtime favorite is always going to be USC. Yeah, I mean, that's just talent-wise. They always seem to, to be there. Um, they, I mean, they got a chance. Uh, you know, we'll see. But, they, you know, they have an inexperienced coach, too. You know, you feel good about the staff and, and what they're doing in Washington. Maybe not so much at the quarterback spot. At, at USC, they got a really good quarterback. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't think the rest of the team is that level. I don't think they have some of the, the defenders you would need. There's not like a lot of first round, like the defense has been fine. It's been okay, but they need some, you know, elite pass rushers, things like that. Like I think USC still a few pieces away, but they, you know, because they're in Southern California and they always get five-star dudes. Like that's, that's who the favorite would be. Yeah. Yeah. I think long-term it's always going to be um, a little bit more bullish for USC than anybody else in the back 12. Yeah. And Dave loves saying that by the way. Like, oh he, yeah. You can tell it just, Warms just... the cockles of my hearts. <laughs> my heart. How many hearts do you have? That that cold and broken single eight chambered thing. Nice. Four chambers? Eight? I think four. How many for, chambers? For humans. I think it's four. Two. <laughs> four. <laughs> I was not a biology major by any means. I was not, what it like the cows the cows have like some like multiples, right? There's like a whole bunch of I think they've got multiple stomachs. Oh yeah, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. I didn't we don't know a whole lot here at the Podcast of Champions. And it's, it's in our defense, it's been two hours and 14 minutes, and uh, we're both not feeling great. And I'm. No, yeah. It's it's currently 418 on the clock, and USC practice started at four, and it's about eh, 45 <laughs> minute drive. So I got that going for me. I, it's really getting to close to the point where, like, do I just skip it today? Which I very well might do. Um, let my team yeah. handle it, Dave. You know, I think that's a strong, strong choice. You've trained them for this moment. Yes, for this this critical moment in your life where uh, the stupid podcast that you do for free ran <laughs> over, and you don't want to do the job that pays you money. <laughs> that's, so, if you guys don't appreciate it, you should. Like, <laughs> if it pays me money. I'm not doing. I'm doing this. <laughs> After oh, after boy. we went one and nine in our picks, um, yeah. good stuff. Well, well, we'll wrap it up because we really have gone on a long time. We, thank you for the questions. Like the voicemails are great, uh, the emails are great. Um, you know, it's great that you're engaged, and it's great to get uh, you know other fans from other programs besides the ones that Dave and I covered to be able to write in, and hopefully we're knowledgeable enough that we can talk about your programs because we, we try to watch these games, so we're we're trying. Yeah, we try. Um, and next week, we'll both probably be feeling better, so there'll be a little bit more um, life in our voices, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And I I'm going to so. have I'm gonna have one of those weeks 
the, the following week, Dave, when USC's on a bye, and I can watch all the other games, which will be great. And I get to preview a very exciting UCLA-Cal matchup right. on Thanksgiving week. Thanksgiving. So it's going to be tons of fun. Yeah. Don't they usually do, like, Arizona Arizona State usually, like, on a Friday or something, right? Don't they? Yeah, yeah. UCLA-Cal will be on a Friday. Oh, wow. So it's okay. yet another road game for a Pac-12 team on a Friday at the Rose Bowl for Cal after playing Stanford the previous week. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Great great scheduling, guys. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's going to wrap it up. Uh, make sure you tweet us during the week uh, at Pac-12 Podcast. We'll try to we try to respond a little bit more. We got a, actually a bunch of tweets over the last couple of days, but um, we don't really have time to read those on the air because, you know, I got a job. We're just, to do. Not, we're just not going to. <laughs> yeah, because I'm done. <laughs> like, I, I, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'll do. Okay, I'll do this podcast at noon, and then I'll do that podcast at two. And you don't realize, like, for like four hours, like that's what you're doing is talking, and then uh, you know, besides the editing and all that stuff, so. Yeah. First world problem. Sorry. Don't, I mean, you're at someone's out there digging ditches going, shut up. You just, you said, you <laughs> they're listening t- to us as they're digging a ditch <laughs> and just getting angrier and angrier about their ditch digging. So we're sorry. We're not complaining. We, we, we like what we I do. mean, we are, we are because we're soft. <laughs> we're really, really soft. Sweet. All Brock, right. Brock, Brock Heward would be heckling us so hard right now <laughs> for being so soft. Oh, I could use a cupcake right now. Man. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> All right. Well, for all the small hand quarterbacks and noodle arm quarterbacks out there, that's David Woods. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for spending some time out of your day and listening to the podcast of champions. And we will talk to you next time.